You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, the running public. You know, I've been looking forward to this ever since Bracken brought up the possibility of interviewing you because we are now almost a year into this thing, Bracken, aren't we? And Mm -hmm. you are the first non-endurance background guest we have had on. Wow. And I think that's very exciting because I think there's a whole listener base that can relate to you that we haven't touched yet. So there's big, big uh, expectations from you today, Ross. I, uh, I, I'm ready to embrace it. I'm ready to ex- accept the Mustang challenge. You, you carry the hopes of the everyman across the globe <laughs> on your shoulders. Well, thank you. Thank you. You know, Bracken mentioned having you as a guest on here, and I got two messages immediately after that. I don't remember what the initial episode was. You mentioned it, Bracken, but um, just a random listener said, I would really, really, really enjoy that, as most of us don't have an endurance background. And then one of my best friends, TJ, said, is an ex-football player. He played in college, high level, and he's an aspiring. He always wants to be this endurance athlete, yet he's coming from a completely different background. He said, could you please interview Ross? So the people have spoken. We're we're in this together, TJ. I do wish they could see your hair. <laughs> you want to post? I haven't seen your hair. You haven't seen it like this? Yeah, this is. Uh, I've only seen running hat and running hair. I suppose so. Yeah, I've got. Uh, we'll do. We'll do this. We'll help the kids get lunch, and then I got uh, calls at twelve, one, two, three today. So I got to look. I got to look the part at least up top. So. <laughs> so so why don't you tell the listeners, Bracken or Ross, um, just to give a little backstory here? How do you two know each other? Uh, so Bracken and I actually uh, taught at uh, Bigfoot High School together. So uh, I graduated uh, college in 2010, December of 2010. I uh, did some uh, student teaching at my old high school, our long-term subbing at my high school, and then moving into the 2011-2012 school year, uh, I was uh, the new guy in the biology department. And Bracken, you had what, one or two years at Bigfoot? Yeah, I was a grizzly vet. I was moving yeah. into my second year. You, uh, you were savvy, uh, and I knew I needed to, to hitch my wagon to, you know, somebody with some, some, you know, long-term, some a little longer in the tooth. Uh, so, so we had connected there. Okay. So you guys were coworkers. Yeah. We were, we were coworkers. Ross was biology teacher and I was special ed and we were in a part of the state that those two didn't play well together too often, but Ross was real quick to bridge that gap and brought his classroom into mine, my classroom into his. We did a lot of, mm. uh, extracurricular activities around the school. We took care of some fish, some koi, turtles that always got loose and roamed the halls of Bigfoot High School. And then he helped out uh, coaching basketball and track and we just got after it from day one. Yeah, it was good. I mean, the the school was really cool because there was a, a big animal lab and a big greenhouse. And then uh, would it be a terrarium, a little pond for the turtles to be in. So between, uh, between us, uh, you know, screwing around in between classes and actually doing some classwork. Uh, we were able to, to build a pretty good connection um, right out of the gates. And then uh, I only taught there for two years and then uh, transitioned out of the uh, education field and now work in corporate America. So we, uh, we took a little bit of a, you know, a little, little time off, a little hiatus from our, uh, from our friendship. So. Okay. Well, that's what, that was actually my next question then. I'm just curious. So we have like a multi, multi-year gap between teaching together and then now, um, and I just think it's important to like lay the foundation of how we're all sitting here today. So how did you guys rekindle your, your spark? 
Well, spark never went out. <laughs> okay, right. We we had we played a uh, what would you call it a celebrity all star basketball tournament every year. Yeah, I mean, some would call it charity three on three. Some would call it a celebrity, you know, invite only. You know, interpretation still up in the air. And so we we did that each year, and we connect from time to time. But out of the blue, got a message from Ross saying he was listening to the podcast and wanted to know if it was crazy to sign up for an ultra. And if I'd write a training plan for it. And I said, of course I would. He said, okay, because I already signed up. <laughs> what is uh, Joe DeSena's fire ready aim sort yeah. of uh, philosophy? It sounds like you've taken that up a little bit. Okay. So you guys re- rekindled or reconnected uh, more regularly just in the last what six months or so. Yeah, that's probably about right. I mean, yeah, I mean, we, we'd probably see each other once, maybe twice a year, usually around basketball or, uh, you know, our uh, annual crayfish boils in the summer. But, uh, you know, if, if it wasn't one of those two events, it probably wasn't wasn't too more frequent than that. But and those are events. The crayfish oh, yeah. boil is it's it's a tough list to get on. You guys are far north for a crayfish boil, I feel like. Well, I wouldn't say they're the highest quality crayfish, and I wouldn't say too many people enjoy actually eating them, but the act of uh, procuring wow. and then you put them in the boiler with the andouille sausage and the sweet corn and the red potatoes and onions, and we, we turn it into a big old, a, a big old uh, shindig. So The wives do potluck, and everyone eats that, and then three or four of us eat you know, several score of crayfish by ourselves, and everyone else looks on in disgust. Is that like a, uh, they call it a dump dinner? Is that is that the style you guys do? You lay the table with like a plastic coated, I don't know, sheet, and you just dump it all out and go nuts. Yeah, that's that's one. Or you can put it in, uh, uh, do the tin foil on the inside of the the big cooler, uh, and then you just open and close it to keep it a little bit fresher. So either way, horse apiece. All right, I'm starting to understand here. So Bracken, do you want to go back? I kind of want to dive right into the the whole where this idea came from. Your back, like tie it all together right away, and then if we want to dive into your past a little, Ross, we could. How do you feel about that, Bracken? Yeah, let, let's lay the foundation for the race, but then I think it is good we should we should trace him back to. I, I've met Ross three times in my life. I met him without us knowing it back in high school, and then I met him as a teacher, and then I met him again on the trail this year. It was a new Ross, so I've known three versions of Ross, and we should get back to original one eventually. But yeah, when he messaged me, I, I thought it was cool that he was looking to run again, and he'd already been laying the foundation himself, and I'll let him get into that. So I just wrote up a training plan and then started taking along for runs. I, I scripted them for a couple trails near me and then just started joining them, and it was it, it coincided nicely with my rehab from knee surgery and his, you know, couch to 5k type aspirations, except it was normal life to ultra in just a couple months. So we were both building towards something coming off of inactivity, kind of. Okay. Well, well, to, to just in case people haven't been listening the last couple of episodes, Ross here um, and Bracken together just completed their first, well, your first ultra, Ross, mm-hmm. uh, really your first trail race, maybe even? Uh, I, I think it was my first uh, competitive uh, race since probably sophomore junior year of high school so pretty way i would say that's more than just dipping your toes in the water then i'd say you went for like a you know a face plant so um so ross and bracken ran this ultra it's a loop style course what one point what mile loop was it uh, 1.1 i think is what they said with a good bit of vert so so uh that just happened this weekend so we're fresh off of it and bracken's feeling good ross i assume you're a little beat up from all that pounding um so we're just going to kind of dive back to where this started then, I think. And so like as a, you're a football guy, correct? Yep. 
And what position did you play? I don't. Jacken knows all this. I don't. So that's why I'm kind of taking that, the lead. That's all right. I, I played running back. I played. Uh, I played tailback. Usually, when people ask, you, you know, see me, they're like, "Oh, you see, you played fullback." I was like, "No, I, I play. I played tailback. I've just gained a little weight since then. That's all." <laughs> so, so where did this this idea come from? Like, as somebody who had no background in this, where did this idea spawn, and why? Well, I think. Uh, you know, for me, it is important to, to go back a little bit. So I, I, I used to love running and, you know, I ran cross country and in uh, middle school, sixth, seventh and eighth grade, I ended up running uh, cross country my freshman year as well in high school uh, in double and playing freshman football and then uh, ran varsity cross country. So I, I, I've always loved to run. Um, and it's just, you know, my distances and my pace were always a little bit uh, catered towards the short stuff and ended up, you know, just kind of deciding, hey, I want to I want to play football. So that's kind of where I I targeted my training towards. Um, but then uh, there's a, a really uh, awesome, uh, awesome guy, Jesse uh, Eitzler. Itzler is his name. Uh, he's married to uh, Sarah Blakely, um, who's the founder of Spanx. And I think he started Marquee Jet. Um, so him, uh, Mark Brown and, and Chad Wright, um, I follow those guys on Instagram and they ran the Murder Mile uh, in Tennessee this year, which is the same course, that 1.1 mile loop, 340 feet of vert, uh, but they run it last man standing style so you gotta you know complete the loop in 20 minutes and you go until there's one person left and i just saw that grit and determination and i was like that's something that i'm kind of missing in my life and uh, we were actually supposed to go out to Maine this uh, in August uh, with my my wife, kids, my mom, and my mother-in-law, and we ended up not going, just canceling because of COVID and we flight and everything like that. And you know, so we we did just a local kind of weekend vacation. And during that time, I was like. I want to do something hard. You know, here, here I am. I work in my basement. You know, I work from home. You know, I go from upstairs to downstairs and, um, you know, I want to kind of challenge myself. So I, I saw that I saw that race that inspired me. And then about a month or two later, I saw that they were doing something in December and it was far enough out where uh, I knew I could get some training in for it. But then I also knew that it was big enough of a, you know, six hour. I'd never ran that type of vert. I'd never ran. I think my long you know, before that was six miles or something like that. So I was like, you know, this is going to be enough to challenge me. And uh, I basically just said to my wife, Jenny, hey, you cool if we go down to Nashville in December for a, a vacation and I'm going to run a race? And she said, yeah, let's do it. And uh, that that was kind of the decision making process that went into it. So that, that's how it all started. So it definitely was uh, ready, you know, fire. And then I was like, oh, shoot, I got to figure out what I'm doing. <laughs> I need a training plan for this. Now we've been talking a lot of people's progression through running. And one of the big things that we've been hitting upon lately is the body transformation. And I think it is important for you to, to I, I kind of identify where you were at then and what your goal was. Because again, you, you kind of summarized that pursuit of the everyman who's getting into running for more than one reason. Yeah. So um, I think at the beginning of this year, I was probably weighing... Uh, closer to like 225, 230. I'm 5'10 and a half. That might be generous. Um, but, uh, and you know, I mean, with, with two little kids, you're, you're down on the floor all the time playing and wrestling and everything. And it was just like at 31, 32, I'm like, this shouldn't be this hard or, you know, it, it shouldn't feel this uncomfortable to be doing that. So I was like, okay, I got to start doing something. So in March, kind of right as, you know, COVID, you know, kind of started, you know, locking us all down. Um, I, I started getting out and, and running and walking just a little bit more. 
mile or two, I look at my, um, I think I had the RunKeeper at that time as an app. I'd recommend Strava. Uh, mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, looking at in the amount of like 1.2 mile runs I did in like March and April was is kind of embarrassing. But um, that, that's where that's where I was at. And that's what I could do at that point. So um, and then in August, once we kind of started to really dial it in, um, you know, have been able to keep off uh, a, a good amount of weight. I think I weighed in on Tuesday before we left. I think I was at like 201 or 202. So uh, I've been able to, to kind of drop, you know, about, you know, 20, 25 pounds in the past eight or nine, 10 months and then keep it off, which has always been the uh, the difficult thing for me. I'm competitive so I can crash diet with the best of them, but then I just balloon right back up. So. So you would be in the, uh, you'd be in the Clydesdale division to go do it. I mean, if you're breaking 200 pounds and still running a six hour ultra in a respectable manner, that's, that's damn impressive, Ross. Well, thank you, Kirk. I appreciate that. Did, did you, um, change anything with your nutrition in this process or was it simply a matter of output increasing that helped you lose, lose weight? No, I think it was, I think it was definitely some, some nutrition as well. And I've been really, I really love that uh, recent episode you guys had with Rich Ryan about, you know, nutrition and, uh, you know, kind of how, how to focus and, you know, realizing I probably have been under fueling, especially the past few months uh, as we've really started to amp up the training. But uh, no, I mean, didn't follow really anything, um, you know, probably went a little bit more low carb, just, you know, because not that it was the right thing for me, but it was just the easiest way for me to start to lose some weight. Um, but then, yeah, I think we just started to, you know, cook at home more with, um, you know, everyone being, you know, locked in and, you know, just being a little bit smarter with, uh, with the diet. So I think it was, it was definitely a combination of the two of them. Uh, but, uh, but then, you know, what's been good is, you know, my wife and I are kind of on the same page with that. So more smoothies and, uh, you know, I, I, I t- traditionally skip breakfast as well. Um, whether you can call that time restricted feeding or whatever, it doesn't really matter. But yeah, I think we, we cleaned up the diet a little bit, but um, it was just a combination of the both, I think. Okay. And Bracken, I know you probably know the answer to this. So my apologies for taking the lead, but I'm curious no, about things that you probably already know. Ross, why does, why does a football guy, a family man, a working man who's let himself gain weight over the years, start listening to a running podcast <laughs> out of nowhere and then decides to somehow find some people online who are doing these ultra events like why are you even (laughs) how did you get here i don't i don't understand how that happened so can you walk me through that whether it's a natural curiosity or somebody was guiding you that way like i still feel like i'm not quite bridging the gap to to how we got here and i want to know more that's a good question bracken uh, feel free to, to jump in if you have any thoughts on that as well but um uh, you know, I mean, like I mentioned, I, I, I feel like my, um, I feel like my, my true running, um, you know, itch was never scratched back in the day. I, you know, I, I, I ran into some uh, pretty significant in injuries in, in high school that are not significant, but I ran into some, some really nagging injuries that really limited my, my performance. So I never got a chance to fully know what my true running potential was. And then as a result of that, I, I definitely pivoted and, and went down the, the football direction quite a bit. Um, I mean, I think you guys are pretty funny. So it's a, it's a good, easy listen to as well. But I think just being an athlete, um, one of the things that always kind of like just gets me going is like hearing other people train or like hearing people overcome and, and just like the a little bit of that struggle. That's something that's 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 always been really attractive or appealing to me. So, you know, knowing that, um, you know, you guys go out and grind, whether it's for 20 or 30 minutes for, you know, a sprint or if you're out there for three, four five hours, you know, for, you know, an ultra or worlds like I, I just kind of 
am attracted to that sort of that struggle and the discipline it takes in the training. So I think that's probably one of the things that the more I started listening to, um, you know, the podcast, the more I was like, yeah, this is this is pretty cool stuff. And there's a lot more science and training and thinking behind it than, hey, I'm just going to lace them up and go, you know, go out for a jog. And I think the deeper I got into that, it kind of started to reignite that dream or that, uh, you know, kind of love that I, that I had for running back in the day. And, um, you know, part of it was, you know, it, it seemed like every time, you know, Bracken and I would talk, I would learn something new or every time I would be listening to the podcast, I would continue to learn something new. And I was just, I remember coming home and talking to my wife after a trail run. I was like, it's running. Like, how am I still learning stuff? You know, I mean, I'm, I'm 32. How am I still learning stuff about running? You put one foot in front of the other and you don't fall down, which I don't always do the best. But, uh, you know, <laughs> I it's time for a sidebar. <laughs> <laughs> our very first run we went on together, Ross took a spill on our very first downhill yeah. <laughs> at the bottom. He made it through the downhills. It was the most technical trail in the system. We made it to the downhill. We made it through it. And then it's the classic, you let off the gas mentally as you it starts to even out a little bit. And he caught his foot and went down. And what, 60 minutes later, 70 minutes later, we, I think we had a 75 minute run that day. It was our first long run. We get back to the car and there's no car key anywhere. <laughs> and it was my first time running over 40 minutes and Ross's first time over 40 minutes. I don't know in how long, but we had to, we had to find the, the car key. Was that a result of the spill? It, it turned out to be yes. We didn't know that at first. It jumped out of my pocket when I uh, when I spilled, and then so we're we're sitting there, you know, we're trying to figure out like, can we break into my you know trunk or what what do we do here? And then all of a sudden we saw two guys on the trail. First, first you called the sheriff, and the sheriff shows. Oh, you're right. I did do that. And he was about, I was, I was signing the paperwork that says, if I break your window, you can't sue us, right? For you know, unlocking the car door is basically what it was. Yeah. And then two guys came out of the trail saying, the did you guys drop a key? <laughs> yes, we did. Thinking they were going to hand it to us. They said, yeah, it's about two and a half, three miles back there. <laughs> <laughs> so we had to run back and get it. So our 70 minute longest run of either of us for the entire year turned into adding several more miles on when we were already tired. And But we found the key. And made it back and then our wives didn't leave us so life was good i i have so many questions for you ross um <laughs> i really I, I i don't know why this is super fascinating to me because i think a lot of us and maybe a lot of our listeners take for granted the fact that we've been putting as i say bank deposits in our bank our running bank accounts for years or we've you know we've been living a lifestyle um that we we don't know anything different and you you've been living a different lifestyle for quite a while and I have a couple of clients and athletes that could really benefit from hearing from you, Ross, to be honest. And so there's a message to be heard. And I, I want to know, what the hell, man? Why not a 5K? Why not a 10K? Why? Why? Maybe, Bracken, you can speak to Ross. Why Why something so big for your first one? Like, I need. I want some people to hear whatever you have to say. What's your thought process? Bracken, what do you think? You, you jump in there quick. Let me let me formulate something because I, I I don't know if I necessarily had a thought process. I don't and know. And that might I, be the right answer. The no thought thought process might be the right answer. You know, I've thought about this, but I, I feel weird putting my words in your mouth. But my take on Ross is that Ross is a all in kind of guy. You know, he he talked about his he's able to drop weight and crash diet with the best of them because he's competitive. He would get in his office pools and his friendship. Uh, circle would say, Hey, we're going to do a Christmas weight loss and he'd win it. 
And then he also really, really like when he eats, he eats. This man loves food and he gets it back. And when he plays basketball, it doesn't matter if he's been playing or not, like he's going hard in the paint. And when we do projects at Bigfoot together, he was all in. It wasn't like, yeah, I'll help you with your terrarium or whatever. It's he's out in the creek hand catching crayfish to bring in and turtles and frogs. And then he's, you know, taking grabbing my special ed students. He's like, hey, I'm going to grab Gordon today. I'm like, all right, man, take him. And he grabs Gordon to go out and help in the in in the in, in the science labs and whatever it was just like whatever he does he's in on and small tasks don't really excite him like he got into real estate recently instead of like tiptoeing in he just dove into it like that's that's kind of how he does everything and so he knows he can make it through a 5k the only test there would be how fast can i do it and that would be inherently disappointing your first one but it's it's not like a can i or can't i it would just be time based and so my take is that he needed something to jump headlong into that required real training to happen beforehand in order to finish. He could finish a 5K on day one, but a six-hour race, that required a full-on commitment, a long-term commitment, rather than I'm just going to dive in, smash, and then move on. Yeah. No, I would, uh, I, I would as you were saying that, I was, I was thinking because... Um that's the thing, right? For, for me starting, right. I, I love to start a new project. I need to, to, to jump into something, but I mean, the, 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 the devil's in the detail. Right. And I think that's what um, I've, I've heard, you know, time and time again from, from the podcast. And I'm sure the majority of our, uh, of your guys' listeners out there hate that. Right. Because it's like, no, but, but, but the easy run, all right. How many, how much, have, how much have you guys been talking about the easy run lately? And mm-hmm. it's like, no, but no one wants to hear that because it's not sexy. It's not flashy. You don't feel trashed afterwards. And for me, knowing, yeah, I could go out and, and again, sign up for a 5k or do, you know, do something. But um, no, I, I think that, Bracken knows me pretty well to hear that. Yeah, actually, you know, and, and, and I, I even felt that the first six, eight weeks of training were so exciting because everything was new. You know, I mean, it was like jumping on and doing like the 15, 15, you know, treadmill test or like, you know, max gain, you know, 60 minute, you know, max vert, like all of those things were so new for me. And that stuff like drives me. So I, I love to learn and soak up new things. But then after a while, it's like, okay, I'm doing tire, you know, I'm doing sled drags today sounds good. Okay. Max gain again. I didn't, you know, add, you know, a thousand feet to my distance. Like, okay. Like the, 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 the newness and the novelty started to wear off. And that's where I wanted to to really kind of sharpen myself mentally to be able to stay, no, I need to stay in this training plan from, you know, mid August to December 5th, if I want to be able to to execute on what I, what I did. And and you guys recently mentioned, I don't know if, I think it was a, a recent podcast this week or last week where it was like, everybody gets to a race and there's like those that are prepared. And then there's those that, you know, say, Oh, I wish I would have had five more weeks of training. And I, I, I didn't want to be able to do there because I'm not signing up for a race every month or, you know, even every quarter, I don't necessarily know what that is, but I was like, I, I knew I wanted to get to this race and execute and be able to, to do that. I, I knew I needed to stay on top of my game and, even if it was monotonous or it was, you know, um, you know, similar programming, I needed to, to focus in on that more of a personal goal. And, and I, but I knew that would tie into the physical side of it as well. You know, that's, um, that's really where it's made or broke in my opinion, when the honeymoon phase is over and now you're in, like, you had your first fight as in like, you don't want to drag your ass out the door to do your run that day, or you repeating a workout you did six weeks ago, and now it's not new and flashy and sexy. Mm-hmm. That's where the relationship is really made, right? The butterflies are gone. You know, the honeymoon phase is over. And then the real work starts kind of the phase we're in right now. And this like, we're in that monotonous off season winter mode. 
And that's probably what laid the foundation to your success would be displaying that discipline when things sort of stop being flashy. Is that, would you, would you say that's probably accurate? Yeah. I mean, for sure. I mean, so for the, so I think for nearly all of our long runs, Bracken and I had ran those together. And then you, you mean, maybe once every third week, I'd go over to his uh, basement to do something on the incline trainer or something like that. Um, but outside of that, I was doing everything on my own primarily. I think that's pretty accurate, right, Bracken? Yeah. Once to maybe twice a week we met up. Yep. So, um, and, and as far as I think what I hit probably 92 to 94% of the, you know, workouts I executed on, which were, uh, that was a big accomplishment for, for me, because again, it wasn't so much the, you know, climbing the hills or, you know, bombing descents or doing, you know, like the lifting stuff that, that all excites me, but you know, three by 20 minute sled drag at six in the morning, you know, in the apartment complex, you know, two blocks down from my house or something in, in, in the old, you know, abandoned field behind that lot. Like there's no glamor in that, right. That's, that's not, that, that's not fun. Uh, but you know, I was proud of myself to go out and execute on that. And I think more, more than the physical component to that was just the, the mental component that I set this goal, I want to execute on it. And I I need to, you know, I need to put myself in the spot where I can fulfill that. So, um, you know, and I think that's definitely an endurance, right? There's the physical side to it and there's the mental side of the game. Um, And I think that's what, what helped me kind of sharpen on the mental side was doing it when I didn't want to. You keep saying the word goal and that's everything, right? It's in the past, with other things, like you met your goal and you moved on. And so we don't know what's going to happen from here, but it's the having the goal that excites you. Like you lost weight when you wanted to, because the goal was to beat your friends or win like a gift card or whatever it was. And with this, it was the non-sexy workouts I did because my goal was so large and imposing that it wasn't worth it to not do those. And that's where we all get to at this, this time of the year we keep talking about is that if your goal doesn't excite you, the boring workouts are not exciting. But if your goal excites you, the boring workouts at least are a piece to a really tangible puzzle that you know you have to put down. Mm. So this is what I want to do here. We've given them a taste. We're not going to get to the race or the training leading up until now we get to know you a little bit from the beginning. And then I want to dive into all the nuances, your, your take on it all, how it went, what your advice would be for other people who don't have a traditional running background, some who are trying to lose weight, all that stuff I want to get into. We're going to hold them in suspense here and we'll get to the real learning in a minute. But I want to hear about you first, Ross, so it builds a little bit of background to what you'll say next. Sure. So bring us back to your, bring us back, man. Um, Athletically, can you just, I know you touched on it a little bit, but can you bring us back to sort of your athletic history? Yeah. uh, So I've got a, uh, I'm the youngest of two. I got an older brother, five years uh, older than me much bigger. So I, uh, you know, probably got a little bit of toughness getting beat up on and wrestling, uh, you know, wrestling with him. And, and that age gap was so significant. And he's, he's a much bigger dude than I am as, as well, you know, six two, six three. Um, so, you know, we always grew up, you know, playing outside, right? I think all of us did the exact, you know, kind of same thing, you know, growing up. Um, I remember in sixth grade, um, I was in, I think it was Miss Trewin's class and she had asked, Hey, does anyone want to sign up for cross country? And I don't even know what it was, but there was a cute blonde girl. You know, it was the first week in school and everything like that. Uh, her name was Jen, not my wife. Uh, and uh, she raised her hand. So I was like, shoot, yeah, I'll sign up for it too. I don't know what it is, but great. I'll sign up for it. Right. And that's, that's kind of what started my, 
uh, in my running career, uh, you know, of course the joke was on me, you know, she never uh, ended up even running uh, cross country that year. So I ended up, I think just signing up for no reason, but uh, ended up having some fun with that. And then uh, seventh and eighth grade year just was playing everything, baseball, basketball, football. Um, that was the first year, seventh grade. Uh, we had a youth program uh, in Burlington, uh, which is kind of close to Lake Geneva area. If you've been down that way probably have with Bracken. Um, and uh, so seventh and eighth grade, um, in, and I was a big kid. I was probably five, seven, five, eight in, um, in, in seventh grade. So I was, I was pretty tall. I hit my growth spurt early and, and I was good at football. Um, you know, we ran toss left, toss right, uh, you know, up the middle every now and then. And, you know, I'd score one, two, three touchdowns a game just because I was, you know, kind of bigger and faster than everybody. Um, and then in, on the running side, um, you know, I don't, I think I won the majority of my races, my seventh and eighth grade year uh, in high school or in uh, in uh, cross country and track and field. Um, I, I ran the the very common 400-1600 combo uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, in uh, in middle school, and then uh, and then high school. Uh, I think I'd mentioned it earlier. Uh, played football, uh, so we would have Thursday games, and then uh, after the first week of football, uh, the, the cross country coach asked me to come out and run. And my first meet, I was telling Bracken this a couple weeks ago, uh, was actually Chris Selinski's senior year. And my first cross country meet ever was, I think, uh, the Spash Invitational or the Dells Invitational or something where, where Selinski, you know, won by like four and a half minutes or something crazy like that. I, uh, I'm from his same area. So he was a freshman when I was a junior. So um, I had to race against him in any of the big meets. So I, uh, I got to experience that as well. Yeah. So I had no, I had, I had no clue, right? I was, I was a football player that was a good runner. I remember um, <laughs> we were just, we just talked about this last week. Um, I didn't know what to do. I mean, I, I was running in road flats, you know, on a cross country car or something like that. And um, of, of course I was bigger, stronger, you know, stronger from a physical standpoint than a lot of the other, you know, kids that were running. And uh, I remember with like 150 yards out, I just, you know, really turned it on, starting to, to kind of, uh, you know, sprint home. And I, I don't know what I was doing. I was used to playing football. So I remember just like yelling and screaming as I was coming down the home stretch and everyone's looking at me funny. And they're like, you pull something? What's going on? I'm like, no, <laughs> it's just how I, it's how I kick, right? So kind of made a clown of myself. Uh, but then, uh, you know, and then so so I had a good uh, I, I guess decent you know cross country career, but uh, I only ran one year of high school um, because then as a sophomore I got moved up uh, and played played varsity. So you know fall was uh, football, basketball in in the winter, and then uh, I ran track uh, my freshman, sophomore, and junior year as well. So were you a bowling ball of a high school kid where you just ran guys over and had some extra weight on you, or at this point in your life were you kind of built like a runner? Out of curiosity, I was probably built more like a runner. I think my, I think my, um, my stride was always pretty long, more suited for the, the track or the cross country course, as opposed to, um, you know, the, the football field as well. And then, um, so as a, as a sophomore and junior, um, we had a really good, strong kind of a fullback. Um, so anything of the, the, the dive or the, the inside type, you know, running plays, um, you know, he actually took a lot of that. So I got to do a lot of the counters and the sweeps and more of the outside stuff. Um, and, uh, and that worked out well for me because, you know, once I, 
once I got to the edge, I was I was pretty fast, so I was able to to usually take it, you know, take it to the take it to the house, uh, and uh, it, and so that, that you know that that was that side. But then, um, but my my freshman year of uh, of track, I, I had a pretty good I had a pretty good year. Um, I ended up uh, in the sectionals. Um, I ran a, a forty nine seven uh, in the four hundred and uh, was as a back freshman as a as a freshman, yeah. A forty-nine-seven in the four hundred as a freshman. That is correct. You may have been top five in the nation for that age group. So uh, yeah, I was. I was the. I was the. I was. A, I, I got the extra qualifier to to state um, just based off of time. I don't know how they did it back in then, but but yeah, I was. I was able. That was the third person from our um, sectional to go. And then when I ran at state in the open, I think I took tenth um, out of the two or three heats that were there. So I didn't qualify for the finals, but I missed it by you know, 0.06 or something crazy like that. So, so Ross under plays his speed. You asked what kind of runner he was. Jesus. That's insane. He's a heavy, like he was built like a football player, but he is a, a four foot striker with that long front, like drive stage. It, so this is when I met Ross for the first time was with, we didn't meet each other, but I was at the big Nelson Daniels indoor meet, which in Wisconsin is uh, UW Whitewater's indoor track. And it's the, they run this really massive invitational every year during winter and the who's who of high school athletes show up. And there's this guy named James Gross from Milwaukee Riverside, I think. Yep. Riverside. And he was the stud. He was a reigning state champ. He was a 47 second uh, 400 guy outdoor the year before he'd run 154 in the 800. He was like six, two, six, three, long and strong and just like a man among boys and there was a buzz when the race started we were all up in the balcony watching it and we're like yeah watch this guy my parents were there i'm like dad watch james yeah like, you didn't get to watch him last year this guy's legit so james gets out to the front and you know everyone's trying to tail off him but indoor it's two laps and they get to the end of the first lap and there's just one white like chunky white not chunky but like thick muscular white kid behind him who looked Pretty young chunky. we could say uh, husky there we go and we're like, wow, this guy's just just hanging on him. And James opens up down the backstretch and this guy goes right with him and then goes around him and outruns him all the way to the finish and wins in like 49-1 or something indoors in January. And and uh, like 10 years later, <laughs> I find out that was Ross Weimer. Come on. I was talking about running at Nelson Daniel. He said, oh, I ran there. I ran that 400 and I start putting time together. I'm like, what'd you run? And he said, yeah, I, I actually won there. And I finally, we, we looked at our results and realized, Ross beat James. I think he handed him his only loss that season because I think he was a double state champ that, and then he took a full ride to university of Wisconsin after that. So that was my first introduction to Ross, the runner. So, I, I mean, obviously Ross went on and took a full scholarship to, to play uh football. Correct. Ross. Uh, not a, not a full scholarship. A full? I, I did. I did get some money, but okay, yeah, so he, he got some money to go play football, but early on he was a track sensation. I'm impressed. Thanks. I did not know that. I, I don't know if maybe if, if the listeners aren't track people, for somebody's a freshman in high school to run sub 50 in the 400 meters and get extra qualifier to state. Now, how it works is sectionals typically take the best two in each event that go to state. But there's something called an extra qualifier that says if you are so good that you are in the top, I think they take, if you are ahead of the eighth fastest qualifier statewide, we're going to take you anyways because you obviously came out of a tough sectional where you just got drawn a bad card. And you didn't take the top two, but you're still deserving of being there. So that means you took like the top eight qualifying times in the state as a freshman to even make it. And it's just, it's mind blowing to me. So let's two, separate this two things. So let's finish out your track career in high school. And then I want to hear about your football career after that. 
So how did track end up for you in high school? Uh, so uh, kind of uh, uh, fizzled out would be the, the best way to be able to, to say it. So I started, um, I, I actually, I think I pulled my quad at that race and just kind of didn't know it. And I mean, as a football player, you don't, I wasn't real in tune with my body. You know, it was, Hey, it hurts. Put some ice on and keep running. And, um, and so I I can't remember, I didn't end up, I ended up getting hurt. And so I had a, a quad issue and then um, my sophomore and junior year, um, my sesamoids uh, under both my both my big toes um, would just get inflamed. And so my sophomore year, we didn't. Uh, I think I ran the first two or three meets of the year, or something like that, and then ended up, um, you know, kind of sitting. I don't even know if I ran the rest of my sophomore year, to be honest. Um, and then my junior year, um, we started um, getting out on uh, the track and kind of warming up after basketball season. And for some reason, with you know, kind of how my foot strike was, and um, you know, my whether it was my stride or my size or, or whatever, um, I also pretty much did the majority of my running in uh, what were those called? Vapors. Vapor, vapors. Yeah. So I, I did the majority of my training and, you know, the five and a half ounce, uh, you know, mesh, you know, Nike vapor or air vapors or whatever, which probably didn't give me the, the appropriate amount of cushion or padding, uh, padding for my, uh, for my sesamoid. So the, uh, the entire, uh, of my junior year, um, I did pool training. So I did not run a race until conference. And I think I, you know, either got in like the, JV rate. I mean, it was, it was something really bad. And I remember, you know, not even coming out of blocks and I just kind of ran the lap just to see if I could do it. Um, ended up, we ended up going to state that year for our four by four. Um, and I ended up having to, uh, I, I took the third leg, which was a big, uh, you know, a punch to my gut from an ego perspective. But um, I think we took like sixth or fifth or something like that in state. I think we ran like a three low three twenties, three twenty three, three twenty four, something like that. Um, and then uh, that was the last race I ever ran. So we we ended up. Uh, I think we were in. I think we were in medal contention, and uh, either I lost it or the, the anchor did one or the other. I can't really remember. But um, so yeah, that was the uh, the end of my my uh, my track career was basically two two races my junior year, uh, or probably no more than four or five races after the uh, the Nelson Daniel, where I you know was at a, a high point. You know running and competing with a really, really high quality, uh, high class athlete. And then I uh, just got, you know, nipped by injuries and between the quad, but the, the sesamoids were really what, what was the issue for me. And, um, you know, I mean, really like wrecked my form for a long time, you know, cause I basically was trying to run and I was, you know, pronating so much on the outside of my feet just to be able to avoid the, the sting of, you know, kind of landing right on that. I had, you know, orthotics, but didn't really end up mattering at all. So. I just have a side note to that. So sesamoids took me out two years ago. The sesamoids are two floating bones underneath like the ball of your foot, like right behind your big toe. Yeah. Um, and so I ended up doing the same thing. They hurt so bad that I started running on the outsides of my feet and favoring. And then I ended up with a stress fracture in my fourth metatarsal because of changing my gait. And it really halted a really good year for me on the Spartan scene. But those sesamoids, man, I mean, they could get so fired up that putting a sock on her, mm-hmm. like, it just bumping the edge of your shoe. You can't get around that. You cannot get around it. So I feel for you there. And then the other thing that we come into so many times, Bracken, don't we, is that the what could have been and should have been scenario and wanting maybe a second lease on something that you never really saw your true potential on. It's my general outlook on my career now. Bracken, I think it's probably somewhat similar for you and just hearing it from you, Ross, it's 
um, it's relatable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I mean, so I, I was always really, um, you know, just really competitive and, you know, I, I, I don't, it, it took a long time for me to like, even kind of connect the two pieces that like I was good at running. I mean, I, I remember, you know, in, in seventh and eighth grade, you know, would go, would, uh, you know, end up and you know, I hope this doesn't sound arrogant, but it would, would end up winning a race and, and then would, would have to leave before the medal ceremony because I had to get to football or basketball practice. And it was just part of like, you know, being a multi-sport athlete. It was like, Hey, I'm fast. I'm going to go do that. But then I'm going to go over here. And I, I just never, I always loved to run, but I never equated like the love of the sport. And so basketball and football were always kind of my, my priorities, um, from that, you know, from, from, from that standpoint. So it was always really, really kind of interesting. And, uh, I mean, people would tell you, yeah, you know, you're, you're fast, but it's like, yeah, you just, you just run, right. You, you run fast. And, and that's the one thing I liked about track or cross country is you line up next to somebody and it's, it's me versus you. And it's, you know, kind of speed and, you know, who's, who's the faster person is going to be able to win that day. And um, so I, I, I never really took my, my training or my, my, you know, thinking to the next level. And I think that's one of the things that really drew me into the podcast for you guys, because um, as I, you know, moved on to, to college and, and, and I went to uh, Valparaiso University uh, in Indiana, so a small, you know, one you know, D1 AA school um, and, uh, and and play down there. But you really learn how to, to be a student of the game, right? It's just as much, you know, your physical ability in your weight room, but it's understanding the defense and understanding schemes and understanding how to read blocks or what to do when and you know i mean kind of you know time management things like that um that always i was connected to that from the, the philosophy of the game perspective um but i never thought there was that 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 existed for running right and and so one of those things that really i think drew me into you know the podcast is you guys do a great job making content really approachable uh and and digestible but you also don't shy away from, yeah, there's a lot of thinking that goes into this and we don't just throw some stuff together on a, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday basis. And there's your schedule or there's your scripting. I mean, there's, there's a lot of planning that goes into the programming uh, that comes through. And, and I, I remember as I was going through the training, just kind of thinking back, I was like, Bracken, this seems a little repetitive. Like, you know, what's, what's going on here, but, you know, actually then taking it a little bit deeper and starting to think about that, I was like, okay, this actually starts to make sense. And I can see where, you know, we're building this or I'm, I'm, I'm strengthening in these areas as well. So, but I'm jumping ahead a, a little bit in the training. So, so yeah, I, I mean, it, it, Velpo was, was, was pretty cool. It was a small school. It wasn't a great program. Um, I, I loved my, my coaching staff in high school. Um, awesome people, uh, really loved the players as much as I loved them is the exact amount as I disliked the, the coaches right at the, at the collegiate level. And, you know, that's, that's really unfortunate, um, because I feel like we, you know, we got out coached every game, which, you know, in football, it's not real fun. I mean, I remember being a junior and, uh, you know, sitting seven and a half, eight year, yards back in the uh, in the backfield. And the middle linebacker says, yep, they're running a toss right again. Guess what play we were running? Toss right. And it's like, oh, this is awesome. And I feel like it was uh, kind of the, 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 the summary of just, you know, getting, um, you, you know, of, of the college career was just like, 
we had good players, right? We had a good team, uh, but we we just never were able to really put everything together uh, and and make it uh, and make it what we were. So I played uh, freshman year. Uh, I played in every game, uh, which was was a it was an accomplishment of mine. I uh, I probably should have went to Whitewater, right, where where Bracken went, and you know could have won a couple national championships. I don't know if I ever would have played or not. So um, I got a chance to play special teams. Um, you know, my freshman year, got a couple carries my freshman year, and then sophomore year, uh, got worked into the rotation uh, a little bit more consistently. Uh, junior year, I think I was second team all conference. I think it was the second leading rusher uh, in the in the conference. Um, and then my senior year, um, yeah, missed the first game, got busted for drinking. And uh, so missed the first game. Second game coming out um, was just uh, was was having an awesome game. I think I had two or three touchdowns in the first half. Um, I think it was over 100 yards. Just just really kind of uh, peaking, right? Uh, you know, put a lot of work in that summer. Was ready to go. Um, and then uh, first play of the second half, we ran a counter to the right, made it about 14 yards, came out to the free safety, stuck my left foot in the ground. My body went right. My knee didn't. And uh, Snap my ACL right in half, and that was the end of my athletic career. It's a heartbreaker. Sniper got me. And that's the stuff people don't come back from. Sophomore, junior year, a lot of really good rehab. Senior year, <laughs> what are you going to do? You're going to rehab for, for corporate America? You know, it's it's a, those late stage injuries really set people up for a tough transition to post-athletic life. But before we get there, I know I just segue to you. I'm also going to cut you off. Okay. You talked about your coaching staff. And you and I have talked through a lot of this. And one of the things that always stuck out at me that I guess summed up your college experience in one story is the fact that your coaches mocked you for warming up before games. That is correct. That I mean, tell, tell, talk about that because that, college coaches doing this. Yeah, we, um, so I had a, I had a really good trainer, um, a, a really good functional fitness guy. I went to going into my junior year and then the same guy going into my senior year. And I remember the first time we worked out, I was dead after like 24 minutes, you know, working out with him. And he's like, no, 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 that's, that's just the warm up. you know, full range of, you know, full mobility, um, some dynamic work, a little bit of stretching, but, you know, really just a lot of, a lot of work to get the body primed. Um, so I would, you know, 60 minutes before the game or 70 minutes before the game, whatever it was, I would go out and, uh, you know, I'd be in the gym with headphones on, kind of doing my thing, getting, getting mentally ready, getting my body primed up and, uh, and then would come in, put the pads on and then go out and be able to do the, um, you know, go out and, and kind of do the stretching with the team. But um, I remember there was, uh, there was one time where uh, one of our coaches came up to me and was like, Hey, I need you to go back and, you know, catch punts or return kicks or something like that. And I was like, like, I'm not ready to do that right now. Like, you know, I'm, I'm not warmed up. I'm just getting out here. And uh, the, the coach just looked at me and goes, you ever see a cheetah stretch before it chases an antelope? <laughs> and I was just, and I just said to him, I said, coach, I, I really like you, but I think that's the worst athletic advice I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, it was, uh, it, it was definitely a, uh, it was definitely um, an interesting, uh, an, an interesting experience. So. And, and that's unfortunate. You leave a great supportive high school with the community and you get out into the big world and you realize there are inept people all over the place and you happen to be stuck underneath one. So anyways, you get through, you get injured. And now what was rehab like? Because I've I've seen friends of mine tear ACLs. My sister tore her ACL MCL meniscus and one fell swoop in college. So I've watched mm -hmm. that and it's a commitment. 
uh, for minimum a year, but really it's like a two to three year commitment. So even once you're back, you have to stay on top of it. What was it like for you? I have a quick sidebar there real quick. You, <laughs> you, you, you mentioned that a sniper got you out there on the football field, huh? Mm-hmm. Just took out the knee. Brecken, I don't know if you know this. Um, the coach of UW-Eau Claire for years, he left just before you started in the WEAC, um, was warming up at a track meet, his, I believe, freshman or sophomore year of college at Eau Claire. And speaking of snipers getting you, he was warming up on the infield and a 22 shell from somebody hunting in the woods nearby, stray bullet landed in his kneecap and ruined his entire scene. He got, he actually got sniped by a stray bullet. Oh yeah, it's true story. Lodged into his knee, done. Actually got sniped. So it could be a little more random. Right? Did you, you, you never heard that story? Never heard of that. That sounds he ended, going, he ended up going on to coach. No, true. You can see the x-ray. It's wild. Anyways. You didn't actually get sniped, but how the rehab? Yeah, for for the for the listeners out there, I did not uh, I did not get actually sniped, but uh, it, it looked like it because I all of a sudden I just fell down in the middle of the field. Um, I, I I mean I probably did a, a sixty five to seventy percent rehab on it. Um, you know, again the novelty of it was there, the excitement of it of hey I got to do this, and you know being able to see the gains and be able to increase the, the the flexibility and the mobility of it. And okay now I can you know start to walk on my left foot, and now I can start to hop on my left foot, and now I can start to jump on my left you know left foot or left knee. Um, that was there, but you know outside of that I I, I didn't do a whole lot and. Uh, definitely didn't rehab it to the point where, you know, I, I, I should have to, to be, you know, physically or, you know, athletically, you know, effective again. Uh, but it was enough where I was like, yeah, I'll should, I'll be able to, to walk and, you know, do a little bit of running and everything like that. But, you know, even now, like when I, when I stand, my knees locked out, you know, there's probably, I don't know how you guesstimate the percentage of uh, of flexibility difference, but it, it's, it's relatively significant. Um, and it's pretty interesting because my, um, you know, I have a lot of low right back pain. And so I, you know, had left left knee right replacement. Um, and then uh, they actually used some of my hamstring to restring the ACL. And uh, and that was actually one big area of the training that the bracket and I found a couple months ago that needed to get shored up and strengthened in, in a big way, because that was definitely uh, at, a, at a muscular deficit Um from a, from a training and, and a running perspective. So yeah, I, I, I maybe rehabbed it for six months, but you know, at that point you're, you know, Netflix was, was just coming out where you could get, you know, two movies sent to your house at once and, you know, push light was cheap. So it was, it was a, b- a bad time for rehab for sure. Well, that's actually something I think we should talk about then is your natural segue between, um, between this time and then this light bulb that went off in your head to start training again, what were you doing in the abyss of those years? Yeah, I mean, I, I was always trying to play hoops. I mean, I love playing basketball, and again, that's an area where where Bracken and I, you know, have kind of maintained friendship over the years. But nothing, anything, you know, really, you know, competitive. But yeah, it was, you know, coming, you know, transitioning into the corporate, where you know, the the working world, and um, you know, as a as a teacher, you know, you're on your feet, so you're moving a little bit. But then as I transitioned to, um, you know, two and a half, three years after that, transition into you know, working in an office setting where you go on coffees and lunches, and you know, you're sitting for, you know, six, seven, eight hours a day, um, definitely started uh, to, to balloon up a little bit and didn't necessarily have the, uh, the same focus on, you know, nutrition or, you know, hydration or anything like that from an, from an athletic perspective, I probably have started and stopped running like eight times right in between then. Um, but, uh, again, it was always there, there wasn't a goal or, 
it was the monotony after weeks four, five, six, seven, eight, where I just probably didn't have the maturity or the the mental fortitude to be able to like actually stick out. And since I, or, you know, stick through it. And since I wasn't training for anything specific, um, it just gave me such a, such a big back, you know, such a big out. Um, and, and that's kind of why, I, you know, kind of did the roller coaster between, you know, 220 and I think I probably got up to about 240, 245, um, maybe two, two, you know, two, three years ago. Um, and it was, uh, ironically, someone uh, took a picture because we were doing a, a turkey, you know, trot or, you know, a charity 5K or something like that. So, you know, it, it was just the right angle where you like, it was just the most unflattering picture of me that, you know, I think I've ever seen. And I'm like, okay. No, I gotta, you know, I gotta do something about this. And of course, then I binged on kale and blueberries and, you know, water and, you know, that's all I ate for three weeks, lost a bunch of weight and then, you know, kind of got back to, got back to being normal. So I think I just kind of fell into the rut of, you know, being average, you know, kind of middle twenties working, you know, working person. I wasn't over, um, I wasn't overly athletic. You know, I wasn't playing five or six nights of softball or, you know, basketball or anything like that. I was just kind of just kind of going to work and, and coming home. So it was pretty, pretty standard. Not not a whole lot of, of excitement there, but definitely gained some good amount of weight. Some good amount of weight. Tacking on mass. You got it. I was in I was in I was in bulking season. I just forgot to I forgot to cut for about six or seven years. I think is what it was. <laughs> Bracken Bracken describes you as a kind of an all or nothing kind of guy. Is how I'm under. You're all in or you're all out, which I think a lot of us fall into, right? You either want everything to do with it or nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's uh, can be an athlete's biggest positive and also biggest negative. Um, how does a guy wired like you allow themselves to let let themselves go? Let's call it the common American scenario. A guy who was an athlete who had performed, who was high level, who had structure to his day, athletically or physically. Why? How? Why? Why'd you? Why'd you let it slip, man? How did that happen? What? What life circumstances caused that, or mental fortitude, or anything? Dig in, Kirk. I can always count on you for asking the tough questions. Mm-hmm. Tell me why. For me, I think you know, as an all or all or nothing person, right? We we just shift. We consistently shift our focus. And the reason why you and Bracken have, you know, created the success that you have, not only in, in, in OCR, but in your, in your coaching businesses, you know, in your ability to, you know, be the bachelor, things like that. Right. <laughs> I don't think that's a check mark in the positive. Oh, that one. Okay. My bad. Um, I had to get one in. Good, good. As you should. But we, um, but I, I think it's pretty common where, the difference between the the good and the great, or the the great and the elite, is um, talent is is kind of a dime or dozen. But it's what do you focus that talent on? And I was never disciplined enough to focus my talent in on something long enough for it to really be able to stick. So, like I said, when me you know signing up in August in the middle to end of October, doing those monotonous, boring workouts. <clears throat> That was such a victory for me um, because that was something that it was kind of uncharted territory for me before. As an athlete, you, you know, you have a season upcoming. Training is just part of what you do. So you're able to stick in it. And I, I can tell myself my end goal of being the best running back or the fastest quarter miler or the best ba- you know, basketball player, whatever that I could be. That was always there to be able to to kind of guide me as that, you know, that that guiding light or that North Star. But after that, I didn't really have anything to do. So for me, I, I transitioned from being the best teacher that I could be, 
right? And then ended up not getting a contract extension. So then I went into a completely different world of sales. So then I, you know, got promoted within four or five months of being there and then was one of the top guys there and, uh, you know, for, for, you know, within the next year and then, you know, took a new kind of a role after that. So for me, it was just consistently kind of moving my attentions and, uh, and where, where I think a lot of us are, are really powerful is that, you know, when we have the, the, the ability, the skills, the talent, or the motivation or determination to get good in one area. But then for me, I'm constantly looking for that next thing. And I think um, I found having success in other areas, whether it be, you know, uh, you know, re- relationships or whether it be um, helping out with, um, you know, the church or helping out with or, or getting better at uh, getting better at my job or taking on a new leadership role. I was kind of putting all of the importance outside of my fitness and outside of my, I guess, my athleticism or, you know, directly correlated to my weight, I suppose. Um, so I, I think that's, you know, to answer, like, how, how did I let that happen? Um, it, it wasn't that I, you know, kind of sat in, you know, mediocrity or, or kind of, you know, was, was um, at a low point. No, I was, I was doing well on my job or I was doing well with, um, you know, helping out or kind of, you know, supporting other areas. It was just, that that shift had moved from fitness almost exclusively or you know or almost almost completely um to where yeah i mean it didn't matter if i was drinking 1200 grams or you know 1200 calories of, of starbucks frappuccinos during you know two or three meetings during the day because i was doing well at my job so i was able to see some of the wins there um from a yeah you know from a a, a productivity or a KPI perspective. So like those were that, that the, those, those hits to me that were like, okay, I'm competitive. I'm winning in this area. In the meantime, I was, you know, jumping up from 32 to 34 to 36 to 38, you know, belt size and hey, just go buy a new one, right? It's easier to buy a new one than it is to fix it. So I'm rarely satisfied with an answer fully. And I actually feel satisfied with that answer. I, I think you just outlined exactly the all or nothing can work really to your benefit in some areas and really to your detriment in others. And shifting focus makes sense. I think a lot of people transition into that post-athletic career, and that is that is the common scenario, isn't it, Bracken? Yeah, yeah. I, I always find it fascinating when you watch a pro sports game of a a Hall of Famer or an All Pro who's moved into the front office, and more often than not, they're massive. You know, they have taken their exact same drive to something else, but what made them great was tunnel vision, and it's what makes them out of shape. Your tunnel vision shifts from my physicality to my business and everything else is on the the peripheral and sometimes not even peripheral. It's just out of sight, out of mind, because all of my day is spent upon success in whatever I'm doing. And it's there there was nothing spread elsewhere before athletics, and now there's nothing spread outside of that when it's business. And you know, with that being with that being said, without having like a specific goal or, or target for me to chase after, like I remember I mean, Bracken, we probably did what, three or four, you know, workouts together at Bigfoot, you know, right, right as you were starting to, to kind of climb and take off in the sport. Um, I was like, oh, this is something you could do. Cool. I'll come do these things with you. But at that point, I was, you know, a year and a half or two years after, you know, a non rehabbed ACL probably 20 to 30 pounds heavier. And I remember we went out to Bigfoot beach and, you know, one of those, I can't remember, I I think you have a name for the workout or whatever, but it's, you know, half a mile loop and we did one running and then one with a sandbag and then one, you know, dragging a sled. And I remember doing, you know, doing that. And I was like, Oh, this is cool. And then just seeing how much better you were than me. It was like, 
you know, I think we have that road to be, or we have that fork in the road to be able to say, okay, I'm going to pursue this and I'm going to get really good at this. And I'm going to try to, you know, improve. Or I was like, no, nah, man, he's, he's way too good. I'm, I'm too big. I'm, I'm done with that. And I think, you know, probably after that, we probably stopped working out just because, you know, I, um, I always want, want to be able to try to perform and, and, and do my best. And I was just like, I, I, I just don't have the, the discipline, you know, or, you know, what I would say maturity, I think is sometimes what, what it comes down to, uh, to be able to, to stay disciplined in that area. So. That's why I really liked your choice of race for your first ultra, because it's not a winnable race. Like there's not, mm -hmm. you might end up having the most laps, but you have no idea where anyone else is out there. There's no electronic timing. So there's not like a leaderboard going live. And it's, it's not about finishing or not finishing. It's about not stopping. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's not a tangible goal. Like we trained towards a goal mileage, but we knew that that was really flimsy because we had no clue what the course would actually play out like or weather or, or what your hamstring would do. The, you know, the, 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 the place they took out in that attachment point, we didn't know what would happen with that after five hours. And, and so it was really more about everything about that race was focused on the parts that you generally don't worry about, which mm -hmm. is, all right, let's just keep showing up and doing it and showing up and doing it. And, and I might not have like this really, really tangible, I'm there to win because you don't race a six hour race with the same intensity you run a 400 meter. And so there's this like holding back stage that I think was mm -hmm. really, really good for you to go through. I would agree. And, and it was, uh, you know, a, a, a serendipity, but it was a hundred percent an accident, right? It was, <laughs> okay. Hey, I, I want to try something. You know, I guess that might be the definition of serendipity. Sorry. Um, Kirk, do you ever get frustrated with how gr great Bracken's vocabulary is by chance? No, I only, do. Because, only because I'm very smart. <laughs> <laughs> um, because you, you know, I signed up for it because I wanted to do something hard, right? That, I mean, that, that was the, the, if you ask me, why did I do this? That's what it was. Right. Um, but, but I mean, I think for a lot of people, but me specifically, what Bracken just said is a hundred percent spot on. It's like, this is something I can't win. Well, I'm hyper competitive. I love to win. Okay. So now I'm training for something that I can't win. So I need to train for that differently. Okay, um, are my natural is my natural talent or ability going to be able to to kind of you know, help me do this? No, not really, because this is so far beyond where that is. And um, I think you know whether it's a a maturity or I think we've all grown right a little bit this year at least with everything that's going on. But um, what's what's really interesting is. Um, you know, in the in the beginning of March, um, when I started to pick up running again, I actually I got connected with you know three four buddies as kind of an accountability group just via text message, just about weight loss, right? So it was just four guys that were all you know mid you know early mid thirties, ones in his I think late thirties, and we're all just a little bit bigger, right? And the first few weeks, it was really good because we were putting numbers like, okay, we're going to do a, you know, a shock the system, 1500 cals, you know, each day for a week or something, you know, just no science, right? You know, you know, Rich is probably, you know, you know, pulling his hair out here and some, some crazy like that, but it was good for us. And, and then we all started to see some, some results, but as we started to go through that, I started to get competitive with these guys, right? Oh, he walked 18,000 steps yesterday. I'm walking 19,000. And I don't know what it was, but it was, it was like, just like, it, it hit me out of the blue one day. I'm like, I'm not competing against them. Like, 
I'm not even competing against myself. I'm just trying to like create a lifestyle that's going to be healthy for me. And that's going to allow me to like live longer and, you know, be able to play with my kids more as, you know, as, um, you know, Bracken and I started our training, like seeing people on Strava was like, oh, I want to, you know, I want to beat that, you know, and I want to, I want to, you know, win that segment or, you know, I want to have the course record or thing, but it, it had to be, it, it, it had I had to change the way I was thinking about it to be able to like, this isn't just a, this is a, a different type of race or it's a different type of mentality. And so it really was a, you know, a spiritual journey for me in that, you know, capacity as well, because I needed to change how I was thinking about the race. And it wasn't just like, go out there, win it, do the best, but it was, I, I just, it had to be different. And I don't, I don't know if that makes any sense or if that's kind of like, you know, rambling, but it was just, it was, it, it fit along well with, you know, the accountability group of, of guys that I was with, because again, it wasn't about like us being the, 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 the lowest weight, um, or, you know, like me missing a workout. I remember I missed a workout one day and like I messaged Bracken and I was really nervous. So I was like, Hey man, like, that's cool. You healthy, feeling good. Like get back after tomorrow. And so I just needed to change the way I was thinking about my training and preparation. And I think that's what allowed me to, to be able to maybe get beyond that six to eight week you know, kind of maximum time I've ever been able to be focused on something because I was just thinking about it a little bit different. It wasn't just about the result. It was about the journey. And I know that's corny, to, you know, to say, but, but it really was, it was about me kind of transitioning into a, a new athlete or a new, uh, a new, you know, person, a new dad, a new husband in the process of, of, of going through this, this training as well. So I don't know if that's too fluffy or what, but I, I don't know. That's something that's kind of on, on, on top of mind for me. It's never about the result. It's always about the journey. That's not fluffy at all because without the journey, without the process, then the result is null and void and irrelevant, right? So, and ultimately you have to find love in the process or at least some sort of satisfaction in the process to even hit the end result, which is completing the race. So it's not fluffy at all. That's actually, that's kind of the stuff that people sometimes skirt around and don't want to get whimsical on us in, in describing, but really that's really why I do what I do to be a better person in every other part of my life and Bracken probably the same and to show up for yourself every day. When you show up for yourself every day, you can show up for others every day too and lead by example and set the, you know, set the precedence that way. I, uh, I want to dive into the nitty gritty now, uh, Ross. Uh, I want to dive into the training, the, the doldrums, the victories, the roadblocks, the setbacks, the, the wins along the way. When you think of your training, my buddy TJ, who I've referred to a couple of times on this podcast, he's the one who got almost attacked by a bear with me. He's an ex-football player, lots of heavy lifting and training, and he's beat up his knees, his back. He's a muscly guy, hell of an athlete, but he's beat up. You know, He's put his body through hell for a long time, and now he's, he's trying to get into this world because he has goals that excite him. He wants to do better, accomplish something scary. I imagine you dealt with some of the same issues along the way. What were some of those issues you ran into? And what would you say to those people who, who are in a similar boat, who don't have an endurance background, who are a little beat up from life, who are working around niggles and nagles or extra weight? Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I can relate a hundred percent, right? I mean, um, soleus, you know, was always a big area for me because, you know, like Bracken mentioned, I'm a, I'm a huge four foot runner. So I had to learn how to midfoot strike 
And that, you know, took me two, three weeks to be able to just kind of like really focus in on doing that because, um, you know, at a bigger guy at 220, um, I've got some good size calves. If I'm running on my tiptoes up and down hills, seven, eight, you know, nine miles at a time, those things are going to be shot. You know, so I had to kind of go through and, and, and refocus on that. Um, I think the the other piece of it is the warm up and the cool down. Um, I wasn't doing that at all at the beginning of it. So that started to be something that was a big priority for me, especially the warm up, right? Making sure that I was uh, putting time aside and, um, you know, as as some, you know, my, my, you know, wife, if she, you know, listens to this, she'll roll her eyes, but like, I'm really good at like showing up at seven fifty nine to an eight o'clock meeting. Like I'm really good at it. And she, <laughs> it drives her crazy, right? She wants to be there 10 minutes early. Well, if I've got a 20 minute workout programmed, okay, well I can do that at, you know, 1235 and make my one o'clock meeting. Well, I started to do that. And, you know, it, clearly it's not going to work because you're either going to have a bad workout or um, you're going to end up, you know, not getting as much out of it as you can because you're not warm. So I think that's one of the big things that that I would say is really focusing in on that warm up and making sure that you know you're ready to go out there. That's something that I needed to do and do a warm up that is you know catered to me. I spend a lot of time with um, you know trying to loosen up some of the mobility and the hip flexors because that's a, a sticking point for me. And then spending a lot of time on the calves and the soleus and the Achilles because those were kind of some 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 pain points or some trigger points for me, um, from, you know, from that side of it. And then on the other side, I mean, um, you know, whether icing is the appropriate thing or do, you know, to do or not, um, icing my knees makes them feel better. So, you know, that was something I tried to make sure to, to, to stay on top of, um, you know, I know you guys have discussed the, the merits of that, you know, in in the past. And, but I, I mean, for me, that, that made me feel better. Was it, uh, physiological or was it mental, right? Because I was used to icing after football, then then I would say that that's one thing there. Um, and then, um, y- you know, there's um, in, in training, one workout is never going to make or break your make or break your training block. One workout is not going to make me faster or slower, but it's the continuation of all of those. So I think the, um, the, the one piece, right, you guys always talk about it, the best ability you have is availability, is making sure that we uh, put ourselves in um, a, the, the position to be able to show up every day. Um, Bracken uh, programmed quite a bit of, um, you know, spin and cycling for me because I, I told him, hey, at the beginning, I, I don't think I can go out and log 25 or 30 miles in a week because I'm worried about my soleus. I'm worried about my sesamoids. I'm worried about, you know, kind of my knees. So we we put that in as some programming as well because, you know, I, I, I know what has hurt my body in the past. So I wanted to make sure to be able to stay on top of it. And I think if you combine that with, um, you know, dialing in nutrition a little bit, you're going to be able to, to, to drop some weight, I think pretty quickly. But um, the other piece of it is, is like, you know, TJ specifically, right? If he's a strong dude, well, use use those strengths as well in, in your training. It's just figure out how to how to dial those in. Yeah. And, and to Ross's credit, he did everything. You know, there we didn't, I didn't have pushback on things. I had questions. And there's a, there's such a big difference among that between questioning what I don't want to do this or questioning, you know, how does this fit? What can I do? That, that was always the frame of mind he came to, to me with. And Kirk, you and I, we had a discussion about this yesterday offline about uh, starting to have pushback from athletes who aren't excited with the process or are finding a lot of excuses. Mm-hmm. And Ross didn't have though. I mean, he had excuses available. He just didn't take them. We, we had a big workout planned. And it turned out to be, you know, 38 and rainy and it had rained all week and the footing was trash and like, all right, 
this is an opportunity to go test gear and test grit. And, you know, he didn't bat an eye at that. Or when a workout was scheduled to be really long and we had to fit it in, you know, start at sunrise, he didn't bat an eye at that. And when, you know, we got to the point where those tire drags that we were doing to reduce impact, but to keep working on driving power straight into the ground and power hiking when you're tired, when those got long and boring, he didn't question those. He just announced that they were long and boring and kept doing it. So like there's some power in addressing the fact that you don't like something, you get it out there, you get it out of your system and you keep rolling. You say like, well, this workout really sucks. Then you grin and you do it. And so he did everything all along. We modified pieces. We had runs, we got out there and we cut them 10 minutes short. We had runs, we went 20 minutes longer. We had workouts, we totally switched around on a weekend. You know, swap with the next weekend or there's a workout we never even did because it was, like he said, it, it wasn't worth all the other workouts, but whatever we did with it, he stuck to it. And, and that's, that's why he was successful on race day. Like we, I, I felt it was a smart plan. He felt he was very tough. I felt that our nutrition was on, you know, he felt his gear was set, like all those things were correct. But at the end of the day, he just did all the requirements along the way to get there. And when it got monotonous, when it got unsexy, he just kept doing it. And, and that's, that's really all you can ask, right? Out of a training plan is that someone just does it. They communicate with you anytime they need modifications, but they do what's there. And, and that made the process really fun from my side because then we got to see everything progress. I remember the first time that we, we broke an hour uh, by, by 70 minutes, 80 minutes, Ross's knees were aching and his feet were physically hurting and he was worried about his sesamoid. And two or three weeks later, we did two and a half hours. And at like the hour 40 point, we both had this realization that you're moving stronger at an hour 40 than you were at 60 minutes three weeks ago. And because he had done every piece along the way, we got to accurately look back at what we'd done. And those just casual progressions that occurred that weren't sexy were suddenly really black and white, really obvious how each progression had happened. Do you feel, um, do you feel like non-impact volume was important to your success in completing this thing, Ross? Or do you feel like it would have been the same success without it? You know, it's hard to say because um, I've got this little, um, it's on it's on my right kneecap. Uh, and I don't know if it's uh, like a cyst or something, but there were, it, 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 it would hurt when I would do really intense, um, like high resistance um, um, spin bike. Um, yeah. So, you know, I don't know if that was a negative thing. It only flared up two or three times in the last like two or three months. So I, and I went back and looked at my training log and I, I couldn't pinpoint because there was one long run we did where it really hurt to start the first 30 or 40 minutes and there was no, you know, cycling that week. Um, so I, I do think it was um, helpful. I think the other piece of it is it, it did just provide me the variety, even though, you know, I, I'm kind of complaining or, you know, saying, Hey, how, how boring it was, but just mm -hmm. to, to focus on it and, and knowing that I think it was a mental exercise as well to know that, sure, could I go out and run hills right now for 30 or 40 minutes or do power hiking for 30 or 40 minutes? Yes, but I'm going to, I'm going to follow the plan. And I'm going to sit in the discipline of pulling the sled for those same 40 minutes. And is it going to be the same or different, you know, physical output? I, I don't know, but I, I think there was that piece of it as well, where it was just say, hey, hey, I want to be able to follow this. And, and I mean, 
I mean, I mean, you guys put out great plans. And for me, it was just like, well, why am I going to try to overthink this, right? You guys are the experts in this area. I want these goals. We're, you know, you know we're having an open line of communication throughout. This is what's working. This is what I'm feeling. This is what's sore. And uh, and so, I mean, why would I why would I question, you know, what Bracken's going to program for me if he thinks this is going to be good? And it's, again, it's not just me having the ability to, to, to get the best training, but am I going to be in the best physical condition by the time I show up as well, which is important too. I think a big piece of your non-impact cardio ended up being that you were able to hit most of our big workouts. Mm-hmm. Like ever, we had one quality, like anaerobic effort per week, midweek. And then we had long work on the weekends and we just prioritized steep hill readiness and time on feet. Because we we didn't have time to do a full periodized build. And so we didn't. We just did one long progression with a brief taper before the race. We didn't pe- really periodize your training, did we, Ross? Not really. Not that I would totally understand what that would mean anyways. But it was basically just linear progression, the best, the best form of linear progression we could maintain. And so the goal was arrive there as fit as possible and as healthy as possible. And it, it felt like maybe you didn't have like this great fitness jump through from the spin bike or from the dragging, but it allowed you to get your on feet breakthroughs on the long work because you held up remarkably well to our long days. We did a four hour sim day to find out what was going to happen and to see Mm -hmm. what's realistic on race day. And he came out of it relatively healthy and we did some two and a half hour runs and, and he, he was able to hit all those. So I think it was almost like a prevention rather than a, a boost in performance. Agreed. I would agree with that. For um, for uh, the others, you're about five ten and a half on a good day, and you said you're just a crack. Might be five eleven. Might be a five eleven with this quaff I got going on right now. It's looking good. That is well formed. But um, whether you're two hundred pounds of flub or two hundred pounds of muscle, it doesn't really matter in my eyes. It's still weight and pounding and extra impact, and that's all exponentially magnified. You know, when we do the run motion, and there's a lot of bigger runners out there. Um. What would you say, I know you kind of touched on it, but any advice or tips other than what you mentioned, like keys to saying injury free through this, are you just gifted or were, was there some ce- cerebralness to this? Because I feel like things pop up more often or you have to take extra rest days or do more non-impact volume. Um, so any general tips other than your warm up and, and listen to the body that you have for the bigger runners out there? I, I mean, I, I run in New Balance, the fresh foams where they got about, you know, four inches of, of the extra push, you know, uh, cushion and padding there. Um, I, uh, I did a lot of, uh, you, you know, kind of self-massage. So, uh, you know, calves, uh, Achilles, soleus, ankles. Um, that was helpful. Uh, we talk I, a- find, I find the lower leg, the heavier you are, takes the biggest pounding on most anybody from the knee down. Calves, Achilles, feet, like the first thing, maybe knees too. First things to go on people. Yep. So I would, I mean, after every, uh, every, you know, Saturday afternoon, Saturday night, that would definitely be, be something that, that I would spend probably 15 or, you know, 20, 30 minutes working through, um, just really kind of, you know, working through massaging, you know, massaging those, uh, those areas. Um, and then, I don't know. I mean, that, that, that was helpful for me. Uh, we, we did talk a lot about, um, jump rope. So I, I went out and bought, you know, just a cheap jump rope and I probably got, I don't know, maybe 10, 12, 15 jump rope workouts in nothing crazy, two, three, four, five minutes at a time, but just getting used to, uh, you know, uh, you know, kind of bounding and, and rebounding off the ground and trying to work on that uh, reaction time of, of, of impact and then the explosion back out. Um, and then the other piece was, um, 
uh, you know, the stretchy bands, whatever those exercise bands, um, working out uh, ankles for, you know, range of motion and um, kind of some of those, uh, you know, cruise type, uh, you know, or mobility type exercises. Um, I roll my ankles uh, at a much higher rate than the majority of people. Um, so like getting used to being able to uh, kind of recover and feel what that feels like. Um, so I, I would say I spent a, a, a decent amount, maybe one or two days a week, uh, kind of using those exercise bands to kind of strengthen up the, the the foot ankle area as well yeah yeah that, i would say that's that's pretty accurate with what he did and and again he was very open to the idea of removing a quality day and transferring it to the bike if he was beat up mm -hmm. How, do you think we did that two or three times maybe yep yeah no for days. sure yeah for sure i mean i'm kind of looking at what the schedule looks like and it looked like every you know yeah the first month we did three right in a row on the um uh, on the bike. And then it was about one, uh, about one a month. So we, you know, once every three weeks, then after that, once I kind of started to build back up as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the, 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 the natural urge is like the excitement and the, um, you know, the buildup of the new things in the new training plan. And that's probably why a lot of people want to, uh, they maybe want to skip or modify these low impact or non-impact activities to, you know, I feel great. I'm excited. I want to go out there and hit the roads, but it's going to hit a point six, eight, 10, 12 weeks into the training block where if you're beat up and you're hitting that, you know, that's where I've always fallen off in the past, right? It's like, I'm starting to, to, to get some residual fatigue or some wear and tear or some, um, you know, little things that are just aching on me. And I'm like, okay, I'm kind of bored of this workout. I think that's when, I think that's what, what, what makes the, the, the cliff so much easier to jump off of or fall off of when it comes to, you know, executing the training plan. You got some sweet, pretty sweet hokas too. I do get I, I did. I acquired those for a fair price from Bracken Crocker. Do you think, so if I'm understanding right, eight months from the time of your little competition with your buddies and your 1.2 mile runs that you seem to repeat to six hour ultra, eight months from somewhat out of shape to in shape, losing weight, feeling good about what you're accomplishing. Mm -hmm. You think anybody can do it in eight months, Ross? You think anybody can do it in eight months? With the right mindset, I think I think that's the big piece, right? Is is the mindset and the the willingness to to go through it. Um, I have a, an unfair advantage that um, Bracken is a good friend of mine, right? And and so, ooh, got a fist pump out of that. Um, and, and so, what I mean by that is is that going to the workout was always a double positive for me because it was working on my fitness and going closer to my goal, but also having, um, you know, the ability to, to have a good, a good training partner and a friend to be able to do that. Um, but I don't think that that means if I didn't have that, I wouldn't have been able to do it. Or if somebody listening doesn't have that exact same scenario, whether they can, you know, have a coach or they, you know, have a friend, but I, I find it pretty hard um, to believe that if you said, Hey, I want to sign up for something and I want to have a goal and Hey, good friend of mine, or maybe somebody that's a little bit further than you from an athletic perspective, can you, you know, can, can we talk about this? Can we, can, you know, can you hold me accountable to this? That I, I think is something that was really, really powerful for me. Um, and again, the, 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 the nice part for me was knowing that, um, you know, Bracken's kind of in a recovery phase for, for this as well, but, um, it allowed us to both kind of train up together. So, I do. I mean, I think that, um, you know, barring circumstances and, and of course, everyone's starting point is a little bit different. But um, 
you don't have to pick a six hour ultra, but I, I think picking a goal, getting a plan, kind of creating a, a vision or, you know, crystallizing why you want to be able to create that or execute on that. And then just to work the plan is, is, is absolutely something that people can do. Mm. Looking back, what is the earliest you could have completed this race into your training? Looking back, could you have done it four months in, six months in? Do you think it took the, the whole time to get the mind and body right? I would say the mind was probably, I don't know if I want to say fixed because my wife would definitely disagree with that. And I would too, but Mm -hmm. we, we did a, we did a four hour workout like Bracken mentioned, I think, uh, October 24th. Um, yes. And, um, in, as far as the, the physical component to things, um, I could not have ran for six hours and mentally I could not have push through for six hours. We got to about three hours and 15 minutes and, uh, I want communication silent, right. Thankfully Bracken, <laughs> you know, was, was able to, you know, keep, keep saying some, you know, or, you know, sharing some stories and, uh, you know, it, it, uh, we, we always joke that there's always like different levels, right. To everything in life. And as mm-hmm. we're climbing up our 190 foot ski hill, he was telling me about Killington a few years before doing a double sandbag carry or something like that. So I'm like, okay, I can keep doing this, but Bracken's really good at bullshit shitting while running. Oh, Bracken is really good at just filling your ears full of whatever needs to be filled with while you're out on that run. Conversation will continue nonstop if Bracken is next to you, if you allow it to, won't it, Bracken? Yes. Ross, <laughs> what did you say one of our first runs together? Oh, it well, and so the, the funny part of, uh, again, so, so, I mean, Brack and I were, were good friends, but we had such, such time apart, right. That it was like, you know, there's still that little like feeling out, you know, phase or just kind of like, you know, a little bit of the courtship aspect. And we were on a, we were on a run one day and he's like, you know, you know, what, do you want to start running like by yourself to prepare for this race? Cause he wasn't ready to sign up for it at the beginning. You know, it was planning on me, us going through the training, but then him um, just to be able to, uh, uh, he was training with me, but then I was going to execute the race or run the race myself. And he's like, you know, do you want to start doing some trainings, you know, by yourself? And I had said to him like, well, I'm either listening to you while I'm training or I'm listening to you while I'm training. (laughs) And what I meant by that was I was either listening to you guys on the podcast or, uh, you know, Bracken, you know, you know, me and him talking out on the trails, but, uh, it was funny cause, uh, I think he was nervous. He was talking too much and it wasn't actually what I meant, but it was a pretty good zinger. So <laughs> as soon as Bracken puts on his shoes and the running motion starts, he becomes a Kathy. Oh yeah. He becomes a chatty Kathy and it is not, it's wonderful. It is nonstop. I'd say some of my quickest, they go by quick with you, Bracken. They do. Uh, and they go by I had quick. to ask Ross because when I run with Lisa, as she fatigues, because she always runs hard, she just doesn't take easy days. So she always gets tired during runs. I fill this the time with talking because it takes her mind off of it. But yep. I had to make sure, like, are you cool with that? Or is it going to drive you nuts that I'm hurting and this guy won't shut up? So I had to make sure. And he said, nah, I'm either listening to you or listening to you. So we were that weekend in Wausau, one of our last ones, we were we were running like 545 pace down this long mile or two gradual decline. And I think you took three breaths in that whole decline. You were able to, even at like a pace where we were working a little bit, you remember where it is. We got lost and we had to run way around. So we ended up being on feet way longer than we should. But it was still, even at that pace, it was like a conversational run. It was pretty impressive. I train alone exclusively, you know, until Ross and I started training. And so when I see one of you guys, like, I'm just, I got to catch up. 
Apparently that means I talk. <laughs> I enjoy it immensely. No, and I'm the same way. It's great to have somebody yeah. to chat with when you're you know training alone. So let's get to it, man. Let's get to the punchline, Ross. The race. The big race. This man who's never touched anything like this before. Bracken gave, I don't know if you listened to the episode yet. It released today. We're recording this episode on a Tuesday, but Bracken gave his rendition of how the race went. A brief one. I don't want to give away though. A brief one, yeah. He he the floor is yours, Ross. How'd it go? Well, we, uh, I think we had three, three big goals, right. For me, uh, number one was, uh, was don't be a jerk, right. My, my wife, uh, Jenny was my uh, crew chief. Uh, so, uh, he's like, there's going to be a point in every ultra where it's going to get a little dark for you. Uh, do not be mean to your wife, you know, do not be mean to your family. So that was, uh, that was our, our first goal. Don't be a jerk. Um, the second goal was to stay healthy, which, you know, relatively, you know, we did. Um, and then my third goal was just to keep going. Right. I wanted to I didn't want to pit. I didn't want to, um, you know, sit on a chair. I wanted to, to, to run, be moving, you know, on feet uh, exclusively for six hours. And uh, we, we did that. Right. So we so we made it through that. Um, the uh, the course was beautiful. I mean, it's it's kind of Tennessee, you know, Tennessee foothills, um, you know, great foliage. They, they did a great job with uh, with the creek or with uh, with the trail. Um, there's a little there's two little uh, small creek crossings where you can, um, you know, kind of frogger over, you know, over some some rocks to try to stay you know out of the water. So that was a cool, you know, little mental exercise just to stay sharp every lap as you're going through um, the uphill. Uh, the, the first big one, I mean, it was it was, it was intense. I mean, it was definitely something that, uh, it wasn't anything we didn't train for. I don't think it was, was crazy compared to our hill that we, we kind of have here in the Milwaukee area, but, um, it definitely had a good amount of vert to it. The first big descent, um, and that's, you know, that's, that's what, what got me. Um, it had rained for what, five, six, seven hours the day before. So the descent was, it was technical. Um, so there was definitely a little bit of zigzagging going through there. There wasn't a whole lot of, you know, rocks and, you know, roots. I didn't, I didn't necessarily think from my, from, from my, you know, uh, I guess perspective. Um, but there was a little bit of zigging and zagging. And then towards the, the, the bottom, it, it switched from kind of mud dirt to more of like a clay-like type substance. And uh, there was a, you know, kind of a little gully in there as well. So the downhills really beat me up. Um, and, and that, you know, definitely was, was kind of the, the limiting factor. Um, but it gave you a good, um, I mean, it was a good, it was a good cycle, right? You had a, you had a flat, you had an uphill, you had a downhill, you had a flat, you had a climb, you had a slow descent into a, into a, a more significant descent, and then you looped back home. And, you know, we did that for, for six hours. Uh, we completed 23 laps, which was one lap short of, of what our, our goal was, which was 24. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, all things considered, um, it was, a it was a win and it was, you know, I, I think I'm trying to use the word fun, but I, you know, I don't know how much fun it was, but it, you know, looking back, um, you know, I, I, I teared up, you know, kind of as we finished just because I was, I was proud of what we did. I was proud of what, you know, I had done and kind of the, the, the journey that I had came on or, you know, had gone through and, uh, and then having, you know, my wife, my son, uh, and then my, my sister-in-law, my wife's sister, and then, uh, our nephew, uh, you know, they were there at the end, you know, holding signs, cheering for us at the end, as we kind of came through the, the last loop. Um, I think we came in in like five fifty six or something like that into the sixth hour. Um, and, uh, 
and that was just a real a real special moment that you know I'll, I'll remember for you know as long as I'm as I'm a runner so that's that's kind of the the high level you know of it um we we came out hot um our our we our, our simulation loop that we have here in Milwaukee i think the fastest we clipped was what was it a, a 1358 or something like that bracken something like that we might have hit a 1240 on that last loop oh um, you're right we could yeah, yeah. We, we, we were we were sitting between right around 13 high 14 to 15 for most of the time yeah um and we uh and so we came out and i think our first i think our first loop was sub 12 which mm-hmm. you know my heart rate was uh, was 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 definitely spiking and was higher than it should have been i don't necessarily know if that was due to just the pace itself or um, due to just the excitement of being out in that group of runners and uh, you know my first race and being competitive and everything you know like that but um i mean we we definitely um you know came out at a good clip but we held it for three or four you know laps after that i think we were not too far um we were not too far kind of beyond that initial first lap but um it was it was good it it felt like the training we had done um had aligned uh and had prepared us for it i mean my calves are sore my quads are sore my hammies are sore but nothing crazy i don't even think that much more sore than the four hour you know simulation six weeks back and um you know just unfortunately for me the the downhills were slippery and muddy and I, I wasn't able to be as, is kind of, uh, you know, uh, light on my feet as I would have wanted to. Um, so my knees took a really big pounding. And as we got to, you know, loop 16, 17, you know, the slower you go down a hard descent, you know, the, the harder that is on your knees. Well, my knees were already hurting, which made me go slower, which made it hurt even more. Um, so by the time we got to, um, I think 16, 17, 18 for sure. Um, yeah, I had to start just walking down the descent or kind of go into a real, you know, slow, a re- real slow kind of shuffle down that. Um, but what it allowed me to do then was to be able to run the flats between the next uphill. And, you know, it's so funny as, as you start to train for this, it's, you know, the crazy amount of, of vert. Um, I was dreading the flats because I knew we had to run them to be able to keep our time up. And I was looking forward to these really, not really, but these, uh, these pretty intense, um, you know, climbs or high power hikes, because that's where I was going to be able to catch my breath. And that's where I was going to be able to, um, you know, kind of start to recover a little bit. So it was definitely completely opposite of, of what, you know, I initially thought as we were going through the flats, that was when I was most tempted to walk or, um, really kind of pack it in. Um, but you know, we, we pushed through, we ran pretty much every single flat. Um, and then that, you know, you, you find yourself looking for that next goal or that next tree or that next stoplight or, you know, uh, you know, a, a telephone pole, that's what the hills were for me. It's like, okay, I'll get to this next hill and then I'll be able to power hike up it and my knees will feel better. Okay. We get up there. Great. Now I got to run to that next one. Okay. Now we got to go down. I'm going to take it slow. Okay. We got to the bottom. Oh, now I got to push through and run to it. But once I get to the, you know, uh, once I get to that next uphill, I'm going to be able to, to kind of power hike and get, you know, get a little bit of that feeling back uh, in my, in my legs. So that, that was kind of what the last two hours of the race were for me is yeah, advancing to the next point to be able to hike up, advance to the next point to be able to hike down. My, uh, my biggest fear for my ultra athletes, especially doing your first ultra is going out a little too hot. And then it really, really detriments and makes the rest of the race miserable experience. And it happens a lot to people going out a little too hot. 
do you feel like that to your detriment changed the, the outcome? And in hindsight, if you had gone out slower, you would have ended up finishing faster? Or do you think it wouldn't have changed the result very much? Uh, Bracken, I'm interested to hear your perspective after this, but um, I, I don't. Um, I felt like my 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 ability to, to hike, um, I don't know if I, I want to say got stronger throughout the day, but I, I felt like I was able to drive maybe a little bit more power, become more effective. You know, after doing 20 loops on the same thing, you started to start to feel it a little bit more effectively. But for me, it wasn't so much that I was worried about cramping or, you know, my, my, my hammies were just dying. It was my knees just had that big, dull pain that just felt like I couldn't be, be quick on my feet, couldn't be light on my feet as a result of that. Um, you know, if, if the downhill maybe weren't as muddy or weren't, you know, wouldn't have been as tricky. I, I think, I think it's a, maybe it's a different race or it's a different outcome from that perspective. Did we go out a little bit hot? Yeah. But again, I don't, I don't necessarily felt, feel like I had the significant like fatigue or from a cardio perspective that really held us back. I, I just feel like my, you know, my, my, my knees just feeling dead and dull were the, were the biggest limiting factor for me. I would echo that. If we could start over, maybe we run the first couple laps a little slower, but it, it was it was a mud issue. Uh, hiking up, the interesting thing about this, this course, in the description, they said, once you start up, you start up. And that was true. On our ski hill, you ramp into it. On this, you are going at zero to 5%, and then you're at 28%, like instantly. And then you're at 30, and it bounces between like 28 and 50 throughout the whole climb. You know, little, little five, 10 foot sections of 50, but it averages probably 30 throughout the climb. And so you're just right into hiking. And because it was so slick, you had to engage to keep from losing ground every power hiking stride. And then on the way down, you had to engage and hit the ground a little differently, like a little flatter. You couldn't roll the downhill. And that's what got us. So the pace, it didn't help the way that, you know, Ross felt from ours three and a half to six, but I don't think that it, that, like you said, I don't think it was an energy system, uh, mm -hmm. slow down. It, it was a, it was a physical pounding from the race. Don't get me wrong. Fitness matters. Fitness matters a lot in these things, but it seems like it is all of those other mm -hmm. subsidiary things is what slows people down and takes them out the knees, the hips, the feet, the blisters, the other stuff, the wardrobe, the fueling, um, yes, your again, your fitness matters, but ultimately what makes or break, I feel like the race is all of those other things. So that makes sense to me. I want to know, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I alluded to it yesterday, but it was, it was the exact opposite of the four hour sim we did where that entire time we were going down the ski hill. That's a Wisconsin ski hill, but Ross was able to roll that ski hill every single time. And then he started failing on the climbing up. And he said, like, I just don't have any more climbing. I can still run downhill. I just can't climb anymore. And part of that could be from the added quad impact of running hard down a ski hill, but he never slowed. In fact, one of our last two descents was one of our like top three overall descents for four hours. And on race day, it was the opposite. We didn't get to roll a single downhill. Even early when our when our downhills were quicker, they they were holding back and tr like skittering, trying not to slide off the trail. I mean, I, I ended up because they were kind of a switchbacky descent, not switchback, but windy descent. It was so muddy. I ended up running point to point. I'd run up to the crest on the side of the, the trail and then I cut across to a tree on the other side. Like it wasn't even real descending, you know? So he didn't get to do that once, which is I think his greatest strength right now. 
comparatively, if you took everyone in the field and lined them up and ran an uphill race, a flat race and a downhill, I think he would have won the downhill or been a highest up in that. And he didn't get to use his downhills. So there was, it was the exact opposite. He hiked powerfully the whole race and his, his descents weren't accessible. Mm. You mentioned don't be a dick. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How did you stay positive, man? I mean, were there some low points? And what was going on in your mind through this thing? Because as you said, you wouldn't describe it as fun necessarily. And I agree. We don't necessarily do this because it's fun in mm-hmm. the moment. That's that's not why we do this. Who's, we're kidding ourselves if we think, you know, that's actually happening every time we set foot on a, a long course. So tell me about it, man. So how did you not become a dick? How did you stay positive? Any mantras you were filtering through your head? Any pep talks from Brackenstein? Anything like that that helped keep you square? Or were you just a rock the whole time? No, I, I mean, Bracken was definitely in, uh, in my ear. Uh, no, I'm joking, Bracken. Uh, <laughs> that, that thought, right? Because again, what are we out here doing this for? I mean, no reason other than to do it, right? In this specific example. Well, there is a reason though. I think I'm going to stop you right there. There's a 10 reasons you've outlined them throughout this whole well, podcast. Okay. All right. There's reasons. Like we're not going to make money or. Right. I'm not going to, I'm probably not going to win. And if you did win, I think you got a 12 pack of athletic brewing. I mean, yes, there's definitely the, the, the pieces of pride that I, I feel and have felt in the training process. So um, yeah, you're, you're right, Kirk. Let me take a step back. Yeah. My wife is out here for six hours, right? Um, she is, um, you know, our kids were with us for a little bit, but then they went back and took some naps. So, I mean, we, you know, we're, we're right outside of Nashville. There's a bunch of fun things that we could be doing, right? So she's investing half a day into helping me, uh, you know, pursue a, a goal, right? Pursue something that, that, yeah, I've definitely worked hard for, but, but she's also worked hard for it too, right? Because, you know, I, we're the majority of our workouts, my workouts in the morning, yes. But Saturday morning workouts were long workouts. So that means... That's an extra day of, you know, me not being home until 10, 11, uh, sometimes, you know, and she's then got the kids, you know, by herself for, for, for that time too. So um, she put a, a definitely a lot of sacrifice that, that went into this as well. So I wanted to make sure one that, um, you know, it's not just like in the moment, but she feels appreciated and, uh, you know, I, I can kind of pay, pay homage or pay respect to her and doing that and not being a jerk is, is one really easy way to be able to make her feel a little bit more love too. But she's never been to a ultra marathon. She's never crewed anybody before as well. So um, it was just it was really important for me to make sure to kind of keep the keep the the important things important and be able to make sure that, you know, I, I was uplifting her and my wife is um, awesome and super energetic and super optimistic and a great kind of a cheerleader. So even though she she didn't. Um, you know, she's never done this before, just kind of her energy and positivity like made it made it very easy. And I knew that she was trying. And this was also her getting a little bit uncomfortable, because it's something she's never done before. And, you know, she doesn't know what goos go when or, you know, I mean, you know, when I would want pre workout or, you know, when I would need a electrolyte tab or whatever. So we worked, we worked pretty well together um, from from that standpoint. But uh, it was interesting at about 315 in our training sim. So about 315 out of four, um, you know, I got to kind of a, a, a the, the, the bad mental spot, I guess you would say it's like, oh, this just sucks, life sucks. Um, but for me, it was easy to be able to say like, okay, I've got three more laps and then we're done 
Well, I, I hit that mark about two hours and 47 minutes in. So I hit it way earlier uh, on the oh. six hour than, uh, than I did. And, and we were kind of talking about it, um, y- y- you know, throughout the, throughout the course or throughout the trail. And, you know, I kind of said, yeah, I'm not feeling real good. And, you know, Bracken gave me some, some words of advice and some, some, what do you mean you weren't feeling real good? Just to describe that, like, what did you battle through? Well, our, 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 our times were decreasing every single time, right? So we had a, we had a tree marker, right? The, the, the hill or the tree at the top of the, the first big hike, you know, was, was 534, 542, 546, 551. Mm. So about two hours and 47 minutes in, right? You know, we're at seven minutes and 14 seconds. My knees are starting to hurt. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not descending the way that I want to. Um, and, and so it was just, and then just the fact of starting to kind of feel the fatigue of being in the race at that point. Um, and it was just kind of having some of the doubts of like, well, shoot, am, am I trained up for this or am I, you know, am I going to be able to continue or, you know, once I think at that point it was like, okay, like where else can I walk? And once I started to kind of think that, I think that was kind of a darker spot for me, you know, just to be able to be like, am I, am I starting to try to give myself an out? Um, and it, it kind of snuck up on me and it hit me again, 30 minutes earlier than, than our, even our shorter training day. So that was something, um, that, that was a little bit surprising to me. I expect to kind of get to that spot where it's like the, the pit of despair in an ultra. Um, but it, it came up much earlier than, than I would have anticipated. Mm. So how'd you get through it? Uh, Bracken gave some good stories, right? Again, he, uh, he, he told me about Killington 2012 or 2013, <clears throat> you know, where it, it felt like he was going, um, you know, it felt like he was going, you know, 10, 15 seconds and then had a walk or, you know, I felt like, you know, as he couldn't feel the bottoms of his, uh, bottom of his feet from blisters or things like that. So in times like that, you know, you're hearing these stories or you're thinking about what other people, you know, have gone through the, the double sandbag carry up a black diamond ski hill. Okay. Well this, this hill's tough, but it's not that tough and I can keep going through it. And then I think the, um, you know, a lot of people on the course said, you know, the, the, the loop or the lap one, one mile lap course was like dangerous to them because it made it easier for them to quit. Even though I was feeling a little bit negative, I, I think I use it as a strength to say, I can make one more loop. You know, I can make, I can go one more mile. And, and, and so, you know, he said, Hey, you're going to come out of it. You're going to feel stronger to go with it. Um, but we, we, we did a little bit of like the, the physical body systems check and everything was good. Right. I mean, I wasn't hamstring was tight. Calves were a little bit tight, but nothing was jarring. Nothing was shooting. It was just the knees were starting to, to take a little bit of the toll. And so we just basically, you know, we, he basically, he let me lead a couple of the descents as well then to say, okay, Hey, take this one at your pace and let, you know, let's see where we're at. So we were kind of retooling throughout the process usually on our long runs, we're just chatting and we're kind of talking about everything. My wife asked like, Hey, what were you guys talking about? And I was like, we actually talked a lot more about the race, you know, uh, on Saturday than, than we, we, we historically do because I think we were, we're wanting to make sure everything was in alignment and we were, you know, kind of dialed in or, um, we were adjusting our plan based off of how, how my body was feeling. Yeah. The, the big whole purpose of those two, three bad laps, there was the reminder that this isn't a normal competition where, once you get to a new point, like that's now the best you're going to feel. And it's kind of, it only gets worse from there. It's like, this isn't, this isn't your new baseline. This is just the bottom of the wave and it's going to ride back up. Even as impossible as it seems that it, you could feel better, it, it will come back around. And Ross wrote it out. 
and his last couple laps, his flats were faster than they were for any of the previous few hours. So he got through that and that's the quitting point, right? You either decide, all right, I'm just walking everything from here on out, or I'm going into the, 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 the pit area and I'm not coming out, but he just kept grinding. And then his body came back around a, a little bit. It's not like we were refreshed and we were happy, but he could start running quicker and he never felt that in his life. And you can't believe that it'll come back until you felt it once. And to his credit, he stayed on it long enough to give his body the chance to come back around. Mm. Was it was it worth it, Ross? All the training, the sacrifice, the aches and pains, the time to ice your knees, the rolling and stretching and self-massage, and all of it, was it worth it? A hundred percent. As we were driving back yesterday, my wife um, just, she, she paid me a really really big, meaningful compliment. And she said, I'm, I'm just really proud of you. And you've, uh, you've really truly become um, the, the leader in our family this past year. And I think there's a lot of things that, you know, that, that move into that. Uh, and she says, I mean, you know, and, and that, that, that's not, you know, her saying, oh, you were never the leader before, but she just said, you, you've really helped our, our, our family. And, and, you know, I mean, we, we've, we've had a tough personal year, right? Like, uh, like a lot of people, um, have in, in general. And, you know, there, we, we've experienced some, some very significant hardships this year. And, um, this, this training, you know what initially started out to be just kind of a, a way to get healthy and a, and a and a cool thing to do definitely has uh, has helped me. Um, you know, I, I, I hope be a better husband and a better dad and a better friend. And um, so there's been a lot of uh, a lot of you know serendipities to, to be able to kind of come from uh, come from this as well. And the the weird thing is is um, like I in the social media world that we live in right now, there's just so much like falseness, right? False humility or people, you know, making a post, oh, you know, I didn't know, didn't, didn't know if I wanted to share this or not, or people coming up with excuses, oh, this happened, or yeah, the course was muddy, right? Do I think we easily could have gotten more laps for sure, but it was a hard course either way. You know, I mean, in, in, in either way, anybody else had to run through it. So the guys that ran more laps than us, they, they ran the exact same course we did. So it wasn't about that, but I, I would say that I, I think the um, the amount of pride um, that that I feel right looking back on this race, um, not just physically, not just mentally, not just for me, but for uh, you know my my wife to be able to to make sacrifices through the process, for my kids to make sacrifices through the processes or through the process, and for me to to identify the things that you know historically tie me up. Right, I'm a great starter but six, eight weeks into a program, can you finish it? Um, when, when no one's around, uh, when there's no crowd, are you still going to actually go through and do the training? Um, you know, I know some people don't like, you know, the spotlight or don't like public speaking. I mean, I was an athlete and a public, you know, a public high school teacher. I like to talk, right. I, I'm, I'm okay with that. So for me, when people aren't around, right, the training sessions with a partner were easy for me. The ones that didn't have a partner where were hard for me. Uh, and I think a lot of people can relate to that. So I think, you know, looking back on it, hundred percent, there's so many, uh, there's so many victories in this. And I, I do, I definitely don't, um, completing a six hour race is in the top five, but I don't think it's in the top two. Mm. What, um, I guess it's early to ask this question, but are you going to do it again? Am I going to do this race again? I don't know. 
Um, I don't know. I mean, the the Murder Mile, right, which is their summer one, which is the, the last man standing competition. That one could potentially interest interest me. Um, but uh, we actually I have mean, a, an ultra in general, something big and scary. You yeah, I think so. I, I, I Bracken and I were 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 messaging a couple of weeks ago. I think I'd like to uh, see if I can run a 50 miler in 2021 as well as break five minutes in a mile. Whew. Is it possible, Bracken? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that one mile time trial day we did, he was, we hadn't done any sort of, of work on it at all. And he decided the night before he was going to come give it a shot. And he negative split 542, I think. 542, is that right, Ross? It's 543. You, 543. you had 542.99. So you yep, kept 542.99. That's what it was. I, I call it a 543. He's got 43 seconds to cut off in a year. And that's a lot of time to cut off, but he's also a 49 second, 159, 800 guy at heart. And he had no specific preparation at all. So why wouldn't it be possible? And I'll tell you what, I'm doing that race next year. I'm going back to Tennessee. In the summer or in in the winter? In the winter. I had a blast. I loved the concept of it. And I have family right there and it was cool to see them. So I'm going to go back down. In fact, uh, Ross, in the middle of this, I got a message from the race director. And he said, so who is your buddy you ran with? We're putting final results together right now because, and they were double checking that our laps aligned and everything. And then he said, I hope you guys come back. And I told him, oh, I'm going yeah, there. There it is. Yeah. It, uh, it actually worked out really good for us. So Kirk, my, uh, so my wife, um, her sister, uh, her husband, the two kids, and then, uh, my mother-in-law. So we, uh, we, we, we went down on Wednesday and then we came back, um, yesterday. So we turned it into a nice, a nice little trip and everyone was like, well, these are pretty, these races are pretty cool. Maybe we can do this again. So, uh, hopefully maybe, uh-huh. you know, I can, uh, convince them into, you know, maybe doing some, some ultras throughout the country and we'll just, you know, turn them into, uh, turn them into, um, little family vacations as well. But, um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was a really, really, uh, a really, really great uh, process to go through. And, you know, I, I, I couldn't be more appreciative of, of Bracken, not only with the training and just, you know, friendship, but also, uh, understanding, uh, you know, kind of what I needed when in that training plan. And, um, you know, I mean, call it a shameless plug or not, but like that aspect of coaching and having that that type of a training partner and accountability relationship is huge. And I know you guys put an episode out about that, but um, I, I would I would say that for for people that are looking to hit a goal, whether that's you know make a podium or just complete a race they've never done before, um, you know the, the time starts now. So I mean you know try to sync up and and figure something out. But I, I wouldn't overanalyze it. I think if I would have sat there and you know thought about all these different races to pick out and when to do them. I don't know if I ever would have done it. Right. But as opposed to just jumping on and, you know, signing up for it and then, you know, make, I've always heard you make a decision and then you make the decision. Right. And, and that's what we did. So. Hmm. Don't, uh, don't be surprised if the, by the end of this week, next week, your high was the race and you're going to hit the uh, inevitable low afterwards where you're not out working out and you're questioning what your next purpose is and, the, the dust settles and suddenly you hit the opposite of the high. Just be prepared for the fact that you might be scratching your head a little bit a few days from now saying like, dang, like now, now what? That little empty feeling is going to re-enter you. And then you're going to have your wheels are going to start turning towards your next venture again. I almost guarantee it because it happens to almost everybody, doesn't it, Bracken? Mm-hmm. I've got a race picked out for him. You do? Yeah. So we'll chat about it when that time comes. Okay. I, uh, I just have one last question for you, Ross. I, I want you to talk to the TJs of the world. 
I want you to talk to these people who are thinking about making a big, scary jump, something that seems so ridiculous to what they're currently doing. Um, maybe an athlete who isn't been a runner or somebody who has some weight to lose. Uh, what do you say to those people right now who are listening? That's, that's all I'm going to ask. Well, I think I've got, I've got two answers if that's okay. Right. You know, one is, um, what do you have to lose? Right. So for somebody that, that it maybe is that couch to 5k type of a person or is somebody that, um, you know, is just looking to make a, you know, it's always a good time of year for new year's resolutions or things like that as well. But, um, the, 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 the guy that um, initially turned me on to this race, Jesse Eitzler, right? He, he runs, uh, I don't know if it's a networking group or what, but it's something called Build Your Life Resume, right? And looking at the back, you know, looking back on my life, what is my resume going to say? Is it going to say super successful in one or two areas in my life? Well, I want to be able to broaden that. So that's why I signed up for something tough like this, because I wanted to add one, you know, one other you know, feather to my cap or whatever you want to call it. So, so I would say like, what do you have to lose by being able to train something? There's so many more positives that come, came out of this training, not just the, the weight component to things, but I feel like I'm more mentally sharp. And I feel like the other piece is, is I knew that I was spending time away from my kids and my wife for training. So when I came home, I needed to be on it. I needed to be as present as I could be to make sure to maximize on that. So I think that's, you know, one piece is if you're not doing, you know, if, if you're, you're not in that mode right now, just, just try to sign up for it, right? There's no winning, but there's also no losing because as you sign up for it, you're going to be able to, to, to stretch yourself beyond what you can do. So uh, that's kind of maybe the general piece. Um, and then what I would say for the TJs um, or, you know, the folks that, that were, you know, higher level athletes is um, you, you, you got to be prepared to be humbled right? But it's, a, it's in a really, really good way, right? Uh, TJ was a great athlete, but I'm sure he's good at a bunch of other stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the, the natural talent in this ultra world definitely plays into it, but there's so many other components, the mental piece, the, the discipline, the training, the, the, the rehabbing, the prehabbing, all of those things. Um, so, you know, if, um, if you can kind of take that attention and, and, and focus it over here, you, you can absolutely look to achieve those things. But I would say your, your motivations or what you're looking to get out of it might need to change. Cause I've been, I was really surprised, right? I, I thought that completing a six hour race would be my biggest result. But, um, I, I think the other, you know, for me, the, the, the pride of executing a plan of something that I didn't necessarily need to do, but I chose to do, I think that was a big, big takeaway or a big win for me. Hmm. I think people get you know, when they think about signing up for something like that and then training for it, they just think of like accomplishing that and being satisfied with what they've done. And what people sometimes don't think of is how it bleeds into so many other positives into your life. Being a better dad, setting an example for your wife and kids, the conversation about becoming like you really have grown into the leader of this household over something as silly as the process of ultra training and shit leading by example. There's so many like tertiary benefits to this whole process that people don't stop and think about or even understand that can possibly happen from it. And I just think that you've outlined that pretty nicely today. And I think it's something people should think about when it comes to training and the process and what other benefits come as a side note to following a plan. Well, we're at the end of this, Ross. And I, I feel like this is our exit interview, you and I, from this process. And at the end of any good exit interview, they always ask the same question, which is some form of, 
what can we do better next time? And today we released our episode driven from what you and I just went through, which is course specific fitness, building mm-hmm. general fitness and then pairing it to course specific workouts and fitness. So if we were to go over and start all over, having experienced the race, having felt it all, what would we do differently next time to build out a plan for this race? Where did we come up short or miss the mark? I, I think I came up short in, and I said this uh, on the trail on Saturday, I didn't uh, execute all of my lifting to the intensity and to the, to the weights that I should have. I think I underplayed the amount of, uh, the amount of importance that would have. And I, I, I worked my tail off the last six weeks to kind of, you know, true that up towards the end. Um, but as far as, um, you know, all of our quality runs were hill based uphill and downhill. Um, we, you know, built endurance into the plan as well as, um, some of the skill work of, of power hiking and descending and the efficiency and in, in transitioning between those. Um, so, I mean, uh, again, if, if the, if the mud on the descent wasn't there and the knees would have held up, I think I would have been able to give a better or more accurate description of that. Um, but, you know, with without having any significant areas in my body that were, you know, barking at me saying, hey, we missed this spot or I missed this ability or I missed that. I mean, I, I think for me, I could have spent more time on the jump rope, right? More time uh, working on, you know, ankle and, and calf, you know, mobility and, and, and strength, uh, to be able to, to kind of get off the ground a little bit quicker on those descents. Um, I mean, you still looked really good on them. <laughs> uh, so I think there's definitely some, some lack, some lack on, on my end, but, um, no, I mean, I, I think the plan, um, everything made sense and it had a piece in, in the puzzle. So, um, yeah, I know that's a, that's a lame answer, right? What could we do better? And it's, it's not a whole lot, but, um, I, I felt like I was prepared physically and mentally uh, to, 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 you know, run the race on, on Saturday. And, and we went out and we, we hit the three goals we were looking for. We came up a little bit shy on distance, but, um, but that's okay. And there's a, there's going to be a next one. So. So it's the ancillary pieces, the jump roping, the, the strength work that didn't necessarily make as much sense until you got to that point where you realized I could use more of it. Yeah, exactly. Right. It was, you know, Hey, uh, okay. The strength, sure. I'm, I'm strong. Right. I played football for, you know, 10 years. I, I can lift a lot, but, but it was different and it was definitely out of use <laughs> for sure. So I would say that the, 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 yeah, like you said, the exercise bands, jump roping, things like that. Okay. I'd say you did pretty well then if you got 90% of the puzzle in place and those little things are going to pop up. So that's, I'd say that's a, it's a pretty successful build and training plan. Would you Bracken? I was happy with it. Watching him out there on that course, early on, I told Lisa, we will run into problems when he cramps and if and when he blisters and mentally cracks. Like, that's what we're going to run into. I thought that hamstring from when the ACL reattachment, I thought that was going to give problems. I thought the feet were going to be a big problem. And then nutrition would, he, he was, wasn't concerned about nutrition from the start. He said, my stomach can handle it. He dialed in his plan, but he said, I don't even have to tweak it. It's going to be fine. And I thought those areas were going to early on. That was my prediction for if this goes wrong, that's where it goes wrong. And he didn't have any blister chafing issues, no gear issues. His nutrition plan seemed to go really, really smoothly. And he never mentally cracked. So from the outside, I was, I was really proud of the work we put in and I was impressed with the work he put out. Thanks, man. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, man, let you be an inspiration for uh, those considering taking the, the plunge and uh, fire ready aim or fire aim ready, whatever that backward saying is, the go for it. You're thinking about it. You're stuck in a, a rut or you just don't have direction. Sign up and then figure it out later. You'd be glad you did. Well, the other thing is you guys are real forthcoming with information, right? I mean, the, the ability, you know, the info on the, the podcast itself is, I mean, it's exceptional and you could build your own training plan, but uh, even just in talking with other people at the race on Saturday, like the running community is a very giving and generous community. Um, so, you know, whether or not you want to sign up and have a coach or you, you just want to get good information, um, I'd recommend signing up and, and, and getting a coach and doing it right. But, um, you know, you're going to be able to get support along the way. So you're not out there by yourself. I fully agree with that. I mean, really looking at your plan, there's nothing in it that we haven't talked about on this podcast. I don't think there's any secret sauce in there other than maybe like that, that uh, one hill work treadmill workout we did, but we even talked about that on the last episode. So I don't think there's anything we held back. It's just, it's out there. And if you, if you have the, the go getterness to get it done, like it's there, you can put it together and you can, you can succeed. I got nothing else for you, Ross. This has been great. Well, thanks, guys. I appreciate you having me on here. I uh, I look forward to uh, to a hill workout with you in 2021, Kirk. We're gonna go to uh, we're gonna go to Wausau, and we're gonna go up and down that 700 feet of gain in Lost Hill, and you're gonna love it every minute. TJ might even be out there. TJ, you're joining us, buddy. All right, TJ. We'll see you there, my man. Thank you.